Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, what's up, Gypsy gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Uh, My guest today is a total legend by the name of James Fletcher, a.k.a. Fletcher Techniques. Uh, Fletch is a physio and exercise physiologist, and he is a guy that has spent the last 10 years uh, researching and studying and practicing uh, basically like optimizing human breathing. Uh, That can be for patients with conditions like COPD, all the way to guys uh, at the extreme end of the spectrum, uh, like big wave surfers, Kai Lenny and uh, Ryan Hipwood. That's how I got onto Fletch, uh, was in the podcast with Hippo. He talked about his crazy wipeout at the right, and then that led um, him to working with Fletch to work on some of his dynamic breath holds, uh, which then in turn led me to Fletch. I went and did one of his classes in uh, the pool with him, and yeah, I was like completely blown away just by, I guess, what those guys kind of go through when they do um, that kind of training. It also made me realize that I just really don't know anything about breathing and it's one of the most essential human functions uh, that we do. Uh, So I thought we'd get Fletch on the podcast um, and it was epic. Uh, It's a little bit different though because we sort of spent like the first hour and a half talking like very specifically on breathing and then from there we just like hit a tangent and we didn't stop. which was super cool but there was like a lot more breathing stuff that we both wanted to get through i wanted to like this to be a super informative podcast for you guys uh so what we did was we basically got to three hours and we're like holy shit we like didn't really talk about half the stuff we wanted to uh so that was last friday i got fletched back in the studio on monday uh so we've separated this podcast so uh you're listening to the 1.1 so what i've done is i've kind of cut where we went onto a tangent uh and i've replaced that with uh monday's podcast which is just continuing on with the breathing stuff uh it'll be quite obvious where we cut it uh, and then i'll also upload uh 1.2 which is basically just our tangent that we went on uh that sort of goes for like an hour and a half uh in itself So a little bit different, but I just didn't want to do the listeners a disservice by uh, me going on a random tangent uh, with Fletch. It was awesome though, like can't, yeah, we we just had such a a good time that first day. Um, But yeah, so we split it up. So you're listening to 1.1. 
Uh, once you've done with this, if you enjoyed it, you can go back and listen to 1.2. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of information here. Get your notepads out. Uh, and if you want to find out more about this kind of breath performance um, training, and there's a lot of motocross dudes that uh, I think should look into this stuff. Um, we talk about it in the uh, podcast, but you know, one of the most common things you see on a pit board is breathe. All right, I need to get into some sponsor stuff before we can get into this podcast. Uh, and the first sponsor I would like to talk about, as always, is our mates at Boost Mobile. Uh, they have a crazy plan uh, that sort of takes away all of the headaches when it comes to having a phone. Uh, basically, you get 240 gigabytes of data for 12 months for just $300. So you break that down, that is uh, insanely cheap for quite a lot of data, uh, and then you just you don't have to worry about it. Uh, I think these are especially good for uh, people that travel and you're kind of coming in and out of the country. Uh, I always used to struggle when I lived in the States with coming back, and if I was gone longer than three months, my prepaid would be up, and then I'd have to go through the whole process again. Uh, so that's sort of... It based on my personal experience where I'm like, damn, this would be a uh, very useful uh, plan to, to jump on. Uh, you can also stream music data free uh, with Apple Music. So that's just another little uh, cheeky, cheeky nug of goodness there for you. A uh, little extra incentive to jump on board. Uh, you can head to boost.com.au or follow the guys on Instagram at boostoz. Uh, also need to give uh, a shout out to the guys at Nobby Underwear. Um, just these guys are these guys are a part of this podcast now. They're just such great people. I guess it's the same with Boost. Um, but you know the guys at, at Nobby um, have really become such a special part of what we do here. Uh, and I definitely just love when uh, I see people say they've joined the Nobby Nation, people tag me opening their fresh pair every month. Um, I think it's become something really cool uh, and it's just more than a uh, sponsor, uh, I guess, podcast relationship. Um, so yeah, huge shout out to those guys. If you want to join the hundreds of other people that have joined the Nobby Nation through uh, the Gypsy Tales podcast, and zero of those have been let down, may I add, uh, you can head to nobbyunderwear.com.au. 20 bucks a month gets you a, pre a fresh pair of underwear. Um, people ask me the kind that I wear. I actually get both the short and the long leg. Uh, I'd say the long leg is probably my preference, uh, especially when it comes to training uh, or riding, surfing, that sort of stuff. Um, but there's definitely times where I find myself going for the shorter leg uh, trunk as well. So it just sort of depends on what I'm doing. Uh, just in like a more casual sense, like when I'm not really doing that much or just sitting around working all day, I'll probably go for the trunk over the long leg. Um, but yeah, it's just a preference. So if that helps anybody out. Um, but yeah, so that's it for the sponsors. Uh, also, please uh, jump online and have a look at our merch. You can get there through the link in our bio on our Instagram, which is at Gypsy Tail Podcast. Uh, that merch definitely helps out massively. Um, yeah, just with sort of all the costs associated with this. Uh, and you end up with a pretty rad t-shirt. We've sort of, 
embraced the whole gypsy gang thing and uh we've sort of tried to make a shirt for the gypsy gang so uh you can get there through the link in our bio all right that's it uh this is episode or like chapter 1.1 of the james fletcher podcast Uh, once this is done you can go and hear us dribble about all sorts of uh random nonsense which was epic uh in part 1.2 what we're seeing and yeah it's just such a sick little spot now yeah eh? Uh, happy with that. Headphones on. Um, give us a mic check on your end. Yep, yep. Testing. Good shit. Right, oh James Fletcher. I'm glad we made this happen after. It's been a while. You're a guest that I've had on the radar for a long time, and uh, we're, we're doing you. it. Man, I'm excited. You're at, you listen to the show, which is cool. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know you listened to them. Uh, well, I, I listened to a number of them, and I listened to Ryan's yesterday, the swimmer. Oh, uh, I yeah. think that was the last one you put up. So it was um, it was good to get some insight from him and listen to his story and his journey, which was uh, yeah, a fantastic story. Pretty you know? crazy, yeah. yeah. Like to be the first Olympian from a country like Malta Why and not? then to do like to go and move and then train yourself for the Olympics and then swim far, like faster than you ever have. Pretty gnarly dude. Well, it, just that those stories resonated with me as well about um, – you know just taking for granted someone a position of authority and listening to them and not questioning them you know yeah. that's what his a lot of his story was about i, th- I think it was yeah. um okay I'm, I'm in this program and someone's telling me what to do and i'm just automatically going to do it um and he was being taken advantage of because of his work ethic and like i think i've worked with swimming coaches a lot you know and that's what they used to do just flog the dead horse you know more more volume more volume more swimming more swimming you know and they're not really sort of stepping back and going hang on is this fucking working you know like is my athlete getting better are we measuring the right things you know um and he was able to sort of step out of that that culture and then work it out for himself and i think the story says that he swam better by himself than he did with the coach so that's like evident like step back out sometimes it takes that fresh perspective on your training regime or on you as an athlete and you know working with some swimmers here as well the same thing you get a little bit stale and someone's coaching style it has a certain effect on you yeah um go and try someone else you know or do some stuff for yourself or which is kind of like the stuff that i've been doing um with the breathing stuff is just stepping outside of it measuring stuff and essentially my ethics is measure stuff ask the athlete what they want what are they doing in their sport give them the interventions whatever that intervention is but then fucking measure it after it and see if we get an improvement and if we don't then we have to change what we're doing you know and how does that look and every athlete's different um and every sport's different so i really enjoyed that that um that chat with ryan yeah he is a super super good dude and uh i was yeah we actually had to do that again because we had like a weird technical issue and it was funny, like, I, I, I think I said it either in the podcast or in, like, the ads. It hit. That was, like, one of the only podcasts where I went away from it the first time I did it. And it was almost like the the tape fucking up was, like, a blessing for me because I, I just was like, man, I feel like there's a lot more I, like, could have said, which I haven't really gone away from many yeah. and felt that. So I was, like, I was actually, it was kind of a blessing in disguise to, uh, to do that. But um, how I got onto you was through the podcast as well with um with uh ryan hipwood yeah so he come on and told his story about almost drowning at the right and then he sort of went okay i really need to get serious about the breath hole breathing side of of surfing 
and then he met up with you and then after I found out that you're on the Gold Coast and I heard that story I was like dude I need to go meet Fletch and and I actually did one of your um like your pool sessions with the breathing with my buddy Jeff who also has been on the podcast yep um and that is sort of how this has come about yes um so I man I found it fascinating hearing the story from from hippo and then what he uh i guess the improvements that he sort of said he made and then to then for me to go and do one of those classes with you it fully blew my mind how much i didn't know about breathing yeah it's um and that's sort of a great story because um I started in in breath training separate to breath hold. I, like I delineate those two things. So my specialty is in breathing training. Yeah. So improving the breath, um, and we can talk about more that more later. Um, but then breath holds a separate issue, um, and I got exposed to that breath hold um, situations, like like what Ryan was talking about at the right. Um, and I introduced Ryan to my stuff that I do, and then he was like, okay, well this is fantastic. Like this is how it applies in the breath hold world. And then over the last two years, I've been researching and doing classes and taking people like yourself through things. And the breath hold component has a really nice um, place in, in the suite of things that I do as well. It's essentially putting the body through a stressful situation yeah. and then watching how the body reacts. And then you can control the body with, with your mind and you can control the body with some of the physical things that you can do. So reducing anxiety levels, um, finding the triggers for someone, which has, again, applications in performance, applications in high stress environments or in the corporate world where you might walk into a scenario where you do feel uncomfortable or you're in a situation where you are threatened physically or emotionally or whatever. And then if you've done the breath hold training, you know that what your triggers are. Yeah. You know what you need to implement to manage yourself or manage your mood very easily. Um, so that's how I find the breath hold component um, sort of works outside of that breath hold space. Yeah. Know? And Ryan's done some fantastic training with Nam Baldwin. So he's here on the Gold Coast as well. And he's got a fantastic program and worked with some really elite athletes. But I was still managed to come into to his world and offer him something else as well. So I'm definitely doing something different to other breath hold people. Um, and Ryan's training in particular was really focused on how to improve the volume of breath, so how much air he gets in, yeah. how fast he gets that air in, so he might have a small split second. And I think I worked with him in the lead up to his Piahi event, uh, I think that was last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a pretty interesting clip of him um, him and Kai Lenny taking off on the wave, and it's funny how I just trained Kai as well. Uh, they take off on the same wave and, and um, Kai manages to get around it and then you see Hippo like falling through the front of screen and getting smoked by like a 40-foot wave, you know. So he's got a small opportunity there to take in as much as air much as possible. As um, I mean, I think they're fortunate now that they've got the vests and things as well to help them. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think some of the older school guys had that opportunity, but he's got a small window to get as much air in as possible because you just don't know what's going to happen. And you can't, like those vests are obviously awesome, but you've got to train yourself as if that's going to malfunction. And it has for him. And for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he told that story? I don't know whether he did. Where was it at? I think where, that was at Jaws. Was I, it might, at Jaws? I might be wrong, but yeah. there was an event where one of the canisters didn't get put in properly, or he'd used them all. Yeah. Um, and then again, you have to train for the worst case scenario. Yes. And some of the things that we worked on with Hippo as well was 
You know, like you're essentially waiting out the back to die. Yeah. You know, like you're paddling hard and you're trying to keep your spot um, and there's four or five other dudes out there and you're waiting for that big thing like that and how they score these events now, it's not just what sort of turns you can do or what yeah. sort of airdrops you can do. It's like, what's the fucking gnarliest thing you can do? You like, need to be behind the section that's in right. the barrel. Pull like, into this 40-foot closeout and you'll get a good score. Yeah. You know? And that's a risk, you know, like, and as all extreme sports are doing, it's just continually to push that envelope. And if you haven't trained for the worst case scenario, like your vest not working in a 40 foot barrel, then you've got a small window to take as much air in as possible. And you need to know your triggers um, and you need to know what you need to do to get yourself through that 30 second minute, minute and a half hold down repeatedly. Yeah. So what do I do? Not only when I get smashed by the first wave, that's right. By the second wave, pop your head up, and then you see this thing coming again. You've got ten seconds to prepare yourself for that next smoke. You know that next big hold down. You know, and there's certain techniques that you can do in that space to help yourself recover. I think the well, there's like a there's so much stuff we can talk about because if I didn't do that one class with you, and I should have be doing more, but it's just time to to actually yeah, do it, it absolutely which sucks um which is a shit excuse too by the way um but there's so many components like i left that class i did it with jeff jeff did really well mm-hmm. i was like really surprised with i mean he's just an early dude though so like i guess he's a good athlete yeah, yeah. He's, he is an athlete mm. um but there was so many takeaways like that that day was just like dude you don't even know how to fucking breathe mm. and there was like the um i guess the one component of just like day-to-day breathing like breathe in breathe out am i even doing that correctly and then there was the way that um when you're under stress then trying to take a breath um after you've been doing exercise versus just a static breath hold like there was so many elements uh and i got pushed further than i thought i could like there was some stuff where um, so I guess we'll paint a bit of a picture. So basically you rock up to one of your classes and then you will have some exercises that are designed to try and take in as much oxygen as you can. And then, uh, you'll like some of the things we did was like, there was weights mm-hmm. every sort of 25 meters or 20 meters or whatever. Yep. You'd have to get a breath, go down, get one weight, swim to the other weight. So it was a very dynamic way of training and it was more so about, the holding your breath while under like physical exertion mm-hmm. or with like a lot of lactic acid built up in your muscles, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was just, just that one day really uh, changed my perspective on, on all of it. And mm-hmm. then I also didn't even know what drowning was, like what actually happened because mm-hmm. you were forcing us to have those convulsions of yep. involuntary breathing, yep. which I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I just thought you held your breath for so long that then you didn't get oxygen and then you died you died yeah. but that's not even no. the case and it's like i don't even know how many people know what drowning yeah. actually is so i mean there was so much stuff from just that one day mm. where i felt like there's this entire world that people don't even know exists mate again there's there's heaps of stuff there and i, I think first of all like your question was surrounding just breathing normally yeah you know, what like what happens you know um, my background is I'm a physiotherapist, but I'm also an exercise physiologist. And my specialty is essentially reading research and then bringing that into practical application. So the classic for breathing normally, like really if you're not exerting yourself 
can you breathe dysfunctionally? I guess is the question. And then the correct answer is yes. You know, there's a lot of research out there and particularly in low back pain. And if you have an upper respiratory breathing pattern. So like chest breathing yeah. is how Ryan described it. Yeah. So like he could say, he said that you could almost tell if a person breathed correctly just from like if they breathe from their chest or if they breathe down just watching like, them. Yeah, yeah yeah that's how Which I, I never knew like mm. I never knew that and I don't know how many people would but it's dysfunctional and it leads to low back pain yep so if you don't if you have poor diaphragm excursion then you have more chance of having back pain if you have upper respiratory breathing pattern linked to chronic neck pain you see that a lot in swimmers like their upper respiratory breathing pattern so I've worked with like Cam McAvoy and Tom Fraser Holmes and some really good swimmers here on the Gold Coast even at that level, that elite level, there's improvements that they can be made just from their normal breathing pattern. All right. So particularly swimmers, they have this upper breathing chest pattern, which if you described, you know, and unless they've been aware of that, unless they've seen themselves on video or we've done some testing in the clinic, they won't know about it, you know, so it's an easy win to change for them. So a lot of the interventions that I bring into place for, for swimmers or for athletes, it, it's, it's, it's not like a big gym program they've got to take on. It's not like a new... Um, you know sprint set that they've got to do it's literally five minutes of training a day you know and, and the program goes from there so that can people breathe in properly 100% you know, respiratory would you say most people breathe in like a chest like so it's, what is the correct way we should be breathing and just like sitting down in a chair breathing statically what what is the correct way to do it I would just say bring more attention to the diaphragm so when you breathe in just think about pushing your belly out a little bit so when you take a breath in, if you want to do it now, you put both your hands on your belly, try and keep your upper shoulders relaxed and then just take a breath in. And it's nice to make a sound when you take a breath in because that triggers a lot of the responses in the in the body as well and a lot of the receptors and it kind of satisfies what the body needs. So you yep. just take a breath in with the belly. And then you try and make it so like you're filling up your rib cage as opposed to breathing in your chest. That's right. And then when you when you breathe out, try and really extend the exhalation and let the shoulders go a little bit each time so that you're really checking into that upper respiratory breathing pattern and that can solve a lot of people's stress and anxiety and that chronic stress of um you know that shoulder tension because i do that a lot like big like i have like big time like shoulder tension where i'll actually like i'll have to remind myself and i like do it sometimes where i like reset my shoulders mm. and all not all but so much of the massage ball like lacrosse ball yep. i do that i try and do it every day yeah and so much of that is in my neck and my shoulders and then my um my shoulder blades but i think that there's some uh problems there from like the camera from years of yeah. like actually holding it like that and it sort of brings this forward and you trap yeah. up and locks in that shoulder blade yeah so i sort of think there's a bit of that but i definitely know that there is like that i do have like that neck stress mm. and after a, like the day with you and then talking to hippo I, I do try and like breathe with that like your stomach you know yeah the, the inspiratory muscles um like a lot of people say oh like you've got to train the diaphragm and that's right but i train all the inspiratory muscles like literally if if I mean, you do jujitsu, right? I've worked with a number of fighters as well. And if they get in a lock or someone comes around their guts and is holding them there and you don't have the ability to do that, when, when, where are you going to get the air in during those times? You know. Yeah. So I train all the inspiratory muscles. So they're scalenes, which are the ones in the side of your neck that you, you mentioned, you know, chest muscles, you know, your internal, external obliques. Um, there's muscles in between your rib cage as well. And of course, the diaphragm. 
Um, and they have, you know, a big flow on effect to other components of, I mean, a really classic study that, that I sort of reference all the time is they got these patients to, to stand in front of a wall and there was a green light on the wall. And when the light turned to red, the person lifted their arm up in response to the light changing, right? And they measured um, the EMG muscles or the EMG of the muscles, which is their electrical activity. Yeah. yeah. Um, response to the, to the light changing. So they were measuring shoulder muscles and the diaphragm. Um, as soon as the light changed, the diaphragm was the muscle that switched on before the person switched on their shoulder blade, huh. before they switched on their shoulder muscle to lift their arm. So there's a postural stability component of the diaphragm. A lot of the guys who I work with, the, the strongest guys I work with are power lifters. So you watch how they lift and they always take a breath take in big breath. and they lock shit down. You yeah. know? So the diaphragm is the lid on the intra-abdominal stability or the, or the um, intra-abdominal pressure. So they've got to translate their quadricep and their glutes to doing a squat into creating a, a stable element during this trunk so they can transfer that force to the bar to lift the bar up. Yeah. So some of the strongest people I've tested are these power lifters. You know, the strongest guys I've ever strongest guys I've ever tested was Junior Dos Santos, so the MMA guy. Yeah. So he, when he first walked into my testing, he was at 220 centimeters of water pressure. First guy I've tested at that over 200 the first consultation so his ability to get core stability or whatever he was doing i didn't know what his training was um that was that was impressive you know and i've got uh, james roberts is the biggest guy i've tested now so he's an australian olympic swimmer yeah working with him for two years so 262 centimeters of water pressure damn so, and what would just be like the average dude that's not an athlete uh, I just walked out of the clinic. Uh, normal average dude like would be about 120, 120 Damn. centimeters of water pressure. So that's his ability to generate force with his breathing muscles. So how strong, how much weight can he lift with his breathing muscles, essentially? That's insane that that's a measurement you can take. Yeah, but it, and it's it's a muscle, right? Like you, we, a lot of athletes go and do their one rep maxes for their squats or for their, mm-hmm. their jumps or whatever it is. And it's essentially a one rep max for your breathing muscles. Really? Know? And that, that's essentially the, the, if we want to boil the stuff down that I do, it's let's have a look at your, tra- at your breathing um, technique, yep. right? what's that like? And let's have a look how strong your breathing muscles are. Let's improve the technique and let's improve the strength of your breathing muscles. So the same principles apply from exercise physiology. If we improve the strength of a muscle, we improve its efficiency. We reduce the blood flow that it needs to operate because fatigue has yeah. been pushed out. Yeah. You know? If we push the blood flow that it requires out, then that blood flow gets directed to the exercising muscles. So we see, then the research shows it, an improvement in whole body exercise. So we see performance improvements. The thing that we see usually first with regards to strength training the breathing muscles is reductions in shortness of breath measures. Yeah. So if you're, a classic one was, uh, so I had a a fighter and he um, he broke his rib. Yeah. And he he had six weeks off of heavy exercise and then he was starting to get back into exercise and I started working with him um, soon after he was cleared by the doctor to go back to exercise so as you know six weeks off you bug it you know you go for a run and you cook you know your shortness of breath you puff out all this sort of stuff so I was able to speed that process for him to get back into the ring much quicker using my techniques so strength training his breathing muscles shortness of breath wasn't stopping him from exercising as much as it should have been we were strengthening the rib cage area and all that um all the aspects of fighting which, which were needed um and he got back in the ring i think it was eight weeks after after that uh, rib cage or the rib fracture yeah right Dude, i broke my rib 
and it was i did i spent six weeks off uh and man i struggled coming back from it like really with just the cardio wasn't there but i don't i don't uh, get super puffed out when i train Mm -hmm. um because i've probably got a fairly lazy style like i'm quite slow with how i i'll I'll do Mm jujitsu but I, so I went from really not getting tired at all. Like I could do eight rolls, yep. eight five minute rolls mm-hmm. easily back yep. to back. But then I'd come back from this rib and like, mm. dude, I was like struggling. And mm. I'm oh, maybe six weeks back from training. So yep. it's like maybe like a 12 week mm-hmm. since I actually broke my rib. And mm. I'm sort of just starting to feel good. So yep. I mean, for you to say eight weeks mm. from the injury to be back in the ring, mm. that's, you know, that's quite a mm. significant you know that's a month mm. sort change of, yeah, yeah quicker than what where i'm at you know mm. and that's and that's right it's and a lot of physio interventions uh surrounded that is like okay you've got an injury and then you develop a pattern to breathe to protect your injury because yeah. you don't want it to be sore so you'll start breathing differently and then that's a pathology that you've created for yourself to get around the pain it's classic physio you know you have back pain because you'll, you have a, a sore ankle compensate yeah, yeah you walk yeah. funny because yeah. you sore ankle same thing um and you've also got some detraining effects there because you're not training yeah um and your breathing muscles start to reduce their strength because you're not breathing heavily anymore so there's a bunch of factors that are centered around what you're talking about that shortness of breath or performance or whole body exercise and it's just like a general lack of energy too you just get but i guess that goes to what you were saying whereas the the respiratory muscles and that whole core um, muscle group are quite responsible for fatigue in in a lot of ways absolutely yeah the, the respiratory muscles take 15 percent of blood flow you know so if we can change that by increasing their efficiency then that blood flow goes to the exercising muscles and there's classic research around this where they got um, people on exercising ergometers cycle ergometers right mm. um, and they forced air down someone's throat while they were cycling oh, and, yeah. and they measured the blood flow to the um to the quadriceps muscles yeah by forcing air down the throat so reducing the work of breathing which is what we do and, and how would they training, be doing that with like a mask like a ventilator yeah okay. a mask so yeah. just push just forcing air down the throat they said it reduced the work of breathing by about 50 percent. yeah and as a result they saw increased blood delivery to the quadriceps muscles yeah so by making breathing easier we made improved blood delivery to the exercising muscles before sorry i know i'll forget this if i don't say it right now yeah. so i'm sorry to interrupt no, you. Go. but you know those um altitude masks mm-hmm. are they just a fucking gimmick or can you see like the merit in them i, I had to ask yeah no no absolutely i've always I've, wondered and i knew i'd forget if i didn't ask i've it written right an now. article on this so if someone wanted to delve deeper into it it's on on my website fletcher techniques yep, yep. yeah um about that so and i've talked to a lot of people around these masks they're a bit of a bullshit really like they're not yeah. altitude masks they've just been called that they, they have, just make it harder for you to breathe that's right right but that's great if you want to make it harder but the research is really clear about how hard you have to make it to get an improvement yeah so if you just go to the gym and you lift two kilogram weights is that going to do anything for you probably, probably not, not you know you have to lift a certain level of weight in order to get a muscle muscle hypertrophy or efficiency changes or enzymatic changes within the muscle itself. Which is to cause like a response that would then need an answer. The body's fucking smart, right? We can't cheat it. Yeah. 
So, and the research is clear, it has to be above 30% of your maximum spiritual pressure, the 260 James is out, the 220 Junior Dos Santos uh, So it's like out. a relative scale to yeah. what your baseline is. That's right. Yeah. So you have to measure the baseline and then you have to be, you have to dial it in to say, all right, well, based on your strength, you have to be at this level, yes. this, this percentage, yeah. you know. So the, the masks don't do that. They're very general in their nature. It's just a one. So you would have to fit within a certain spectrum for that to be over 30% of your baseline level essentially for it to even be yeah there is some good things about it but there's still more bad shit i want to talk about um so one they're not they're not prescription you know that you can't deliver the evidence-based approach to improving respiratory muscle strength okay and then the other component to it is like like altitude training so you know the idea of going up and training living at high and then coming down to train low that's there's a lot of um uh, a lot of research that's going into altitude training or has been done in altitude training. Because I, um, I remember from reading Lance Armstrong's book that they would go to like and train a lot in the Alps because obviously that's where they were doing the, the yeah. Tour de France. Yeah. And so I guess you'd have, obviously it'd be similar roads and conditions that would, obviously you're going to race in, but you're also racing in at that altitude. Yeah, so that that's specificity. That's a little different. So yeah. with altitude training, what they do is they they go and live in the mountains. Yeah, and then usually they come down to train. All right, and the reason they do that is because when you train, you essentially don't want to fuck up training. Right, you want to train at your maximum. Right? Yeah, if you're training at altitude, then your performance is going to be reduced because there's a lack of oxygen supply to the breathe to the muscles. Yeah, all right. So it's the same idea that I wanted to bring through with the altitude masks. If you're going for a run and you put the altitude mask on and it's going to make your breathing harder, are you going to get the improved running ability because you're a runner when you're making this harder? You yeah. know, like that's the question. And, and I don't know, you yeah. know, like, but it's a question that you need to ask. You don't just strap on an altitude mask and then expect to run better because it's going to slow you down your running. Yeah. So does that does that change your rhythm? Does it change You're like your pacing? Peter to pay Paul. That's right. Yeah. You know, so you have to have someone to to guide you through that process. However, it does bring attention to the breath. You know, it does force you to think about breathing in differently. Yeah. It does force you to get air out. You know, so there is a, a good component to those altitude masks, but like a lot of breath training interventions, I think people are just painting them with a really big brush you know like oh just fucking do Wim Hof you'll be fine you know like it's and again that is is a a question when would you do Wim Hof you know like how does it apply to a performance program yeah when would you use it these are all questions that if you're an athlete or even if you just a general punter wanting to improve your performance don't waste your time doing bullshit stuff that has no relevance to what you're doing where are you lacking what are your strengths and weaknesses and what sport do you do yeah And I think to um, that to speak on the altitude mask, like if you're chest breathing wrong and then you put an altitude mask on and then you're training yourself, making Absolutely. it harder to even breathe wrong, yeah. then it's like, what are you doing That's right there? Because, I mean, like I said, that was the biggest takeaway for me was just like that whole chest breathing and then the tension that you can get in your shoulders and lower back is like, I just think more people need to know that how they should even breathe properly you know what i mean yeah because it's like i just don't think it's that much of a uh i just don't know if it's like general knowledge in a way yeah and it's linked to our autonomic nervous system and i find it fascinating which is why i've for the last 10 years been going down this road you know we're sitting here right now our hearts are probably beating at 60 or 70 beats per minute we have no control over it right it's driven by our autonomic nervous system 
but we're also not thinking about our breath you know and we are the only creature that has voluntary control over it and so we can like right now we can hyperventilate and do the Wim Hof stuff and have control which is the direct link to our autonomic nervous system you know pass out or get tingly or get a feeling or a response or we can slow everything down and we can tap into that autonomic nervous system and some of the stuff that we did in the pool where we breathed all our air out you know and then we went and sunk on the bottom of the pool like there's so much new research around intermittent hypoxic training which is essentially breath hold training under under duress yeah about it's you know it, it's again it's stimulus and how the physiological responses we can get from it and can we get more physiological change with less effort or can we get more physiological change with the same effort we're putting in with breath holds like there's a really interesting science that's opening up here and I've just finished my part three of part four on intermittent hypoxic training. Uh, I don't know if you've seen katsu training where they tie bands around people's legs and it's a Japanese thing. Um, and, you know, obviously altitude rooms and altitude masks. What's, the, what's that Japanese training, the katsu? They like tie um, like bands, like let's say around my femoral artery here. So yeah. then they stop blood flow coming and stop. Um, all the metabolites exiting the system by tying a right tight band on and then you do some squats and stuff. Really? Yeah, and then you release the band and then the buildup of metabolites is like a huge physiological shock to the system. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, research around like elderly and rehabilitation. Like do we have to put 50 kilograms on their back and get them to do squats to get a change? Or can we do this and then they can do less weight, which they can actually do? Yeah. So can we trick the body? Yeah, and okay. I always come to that, like that mindset of being, I think the body's a lot smarter than what we give it. You yeah. Know? And we can try and trick it. Let's have a look at what we can do. But I think the body will catch up, you know. The, the Wim Hof stuff is, well, I guess it's like an exciting time because like you've been into the breathing stuff for 10 years mm-hmm. plus, but it seems like now more and more people that I follow on Instagram and more and more people that I know are like looking at the mm. breath. So it must be an exciting time for you to like, all right, finally people are at least acknowledging that this is a road that we should go down and athletes are starting to look for more benefits. And I know Robbie Madison is like big into the Wim Hof stuff. Mm -hmm. I got a friend Taylor that uh, he just did like a clinic with people getting into like the ice bars and doing the Wim Hof stuff. And it's, it's cool that at least this is now becoming like more of a sector of the physical health space because I, I can imagine 10 years ago when you started looking into it, it wasn't really something that many people were even looking into and it certainly wasn't in the mainstream, right? Oh, mate, absolutely. And, and you know, props to Wim Hof and that, like they've popularized the breath, you know, it's, you know, breathe motherfucker, that's his motto. And, and really that's it, you know, it's like just start thinking about the breath and start paying attention to the breath and you'll start getting some benefits from it whatever those benefits are yeah um and for a long time i've been in that research space and looking at specific interventions which is why i get on my high horse a little bit i guess is okay we need to be specific about stuff if you're going to do it make sure it's the right thing that you're doing for you and for your sport because my background is in pathology so i started um my mum was diagnosed with emphysema 10 years ago um, I was living in Japan at the time um, and she lives in a housing commission house in, in Kingscliff and has to walk up a flight of stairs. If you have COPD or emphysema, then you start getting short of breath with simple activities. So your life starts to become shit because you can't do anything. In fact, it starts to become so shit that you can't eat properly because you, as soon as you put 
food in your mouth. You're holding your breath. You get short of breath because you, you can't breathe and eat at the same time, right? That's crazy. So they get really skinny and they can't look after themselves. Um, and I was like, fuck, what can I do? Living in Japan, I'm a physio. I got to help my mum out here, you know? Um, and then I started looking at, at that research and it was pretty clear um, with just some real simple searches um, through the university um, database that one article in particular, 42 randomized controlled trials. So this is a level one evidence for breath training that we can deliver. There's 842 patients in this study. If we do a certain type of breathing training for patients with COPD, we will get, we'll improve their quality of life. We'll reduce their shortness of breath and we'll improve, we'll improve their exercise tolerance. Right. And that was like, okay, well, that's what my mum needs. You know, she's starting to suffer shortness of breath. She has to walk up a flight of stairs, which in the end was a godsend. I was going to say, that's probably like a good thing once you can figure it out, right? Yeah. So now she's better than what she ever was because of the breath training, you know? And so what sort of breath training are you doing for a lady that is on the elderly side of life mm. that is um, has emphysema? Yeah. So that's where I started, you yeah. know? So, and there's clear evidence around chronic heart failure, COPD and asthma. If we strength train the inspiratory muscles, so we yeah. take them to the gym, with that certain prescription, you know, above 30% of their one rep max, um, 30 breaths a day, twice a day, then that's enough for them. So right. what are you training when you are doing those 30 breaths at 30% above your one rep maximum? Like, what does that look like? Um, so they're breathing into a device. It's a pressure threshold device, which is set at the particular load. And then when they achieve uh. the load, then the valve opens and they will get flow. You know, so then- And is that inhaling? Inhaling. And does exhaling matter? No. Okay, so no. it's the It inhale. does matter in performance, but not for these patients. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it actually does matter a little bit for these patients. Usually patients with COPD or pathology, they have this thing called hyperinflation where their lungs become really floppy. But um, 99% of my patients in that pathology space, um, we don't have to worry about exhalation. Breathing control and then using that device 30 breaths in the morning and 30 breaths at night. So again, less than eight minutes of work for them to improve their quality of life you don't see this sort of intervention for pathology patients or for physiotherapy patients or whatever and i can kick these patients in the ass if they don't do what i tell them to i'm like look do you want to fucking improve you know like this is eight minutes a day for you to improve the quality of your life yeah usually it's smoking that's that's caused this issue usually or exposure to chemicals or pollutants or mining stuff you know so usually I can pull on a few heartstrings in that space, you know, like you've caused this condition, yeah. you need to help get yourself out of this condition. Um, and then hooking them up to the software and doing some techniques and quite quickly, uh, like some of the, st- my first ever patient was um, uh, when I came home from Japan was a guy didn't want to go to see his, his uh, family in Melbourne because he was worried about walking up a flight of stairs to get on a plane. Really? Right? So for years he hadn't so he's visited. In a bad spot. Yeah, bad spot. Two weeks later, um, walking up a flight of stairs, went and saw his family. And I'm like, all right, fuck, I've got to, I've got to take this on. Right? Yeah. And then I would traveled around here in Southeast Queensland talking to doctors to say, look, for your patients who have respiratory conditions, send them to me, I will help them out. 
all right, a guarantee that here's the evidence, here's the 42 randomized controlled trials, here's the level one evidence to say that I'll improve their health. Did you keep like a database for yourself that you then went and took to these doctors and said like, these are my individual case studies or you sort of didn't even have to? Didn't need to. Yeah, no, okay. the, the research paper is, is level one evidence. Pretty, it's like, pretty definitive. So RCTs is like double blind placebo controlled trials. So yep. they don't know who's doing the intervention and yep. it's randomized. And there were 42 of those individual studies with over 800 patients. It's like, yeah, I, could, I just push that across the table to the doc and go send them to me. Yeah, you know. Um, and I ha- I was testing in the clinic, and you know I've tested over 1,500 patients um, in that clinical space, and there was no one else doing it. I did make a few mistakes. Yeah, you know? like and the way I sort of approach things, which is why I kind of exclusively work in the athlete field now. Who with people who are interested in it because I want to push, keep pushing that space because I don't yeah. think too many people are doing the scientific approach to breath training that I do. Um, you know, an example would be I trained a patient and, you know, I knew the mark was 30% over, but I just took them a little lot, little more because they were a pretty good patient. Uh, and turns out that, you know, I caused some muscle soreness in their ribs from the rib cage muscles exercising. Yeah. Next day they woke up with rib pain or in their chest and they thought they were having a heart attack, you know, so they took themselves to the hospital because yeah. they thought they were having a heart attack, but it was just muscle soreness, yeah. you know. So that was a learning curve for me. All right, I need them to follow a certain pattern, my pathology patients. And then I guess you've got the knowledge then to say like, look, if you do get any soreness, yeah. this is what, yeah. Yeah, so then from then it was a learning experience yeah. over the last, particularly those first two years of doing it because we would get... You know, we'd get some great results with COPD patients and then they'd send bronchiectasis patients in and then asthmatic patients in. And there's this, again, another story, there's a specific sub, subtype of asthmatics who don't know they're getting an asthmatic attack, you know. So they just start to become cyanotic or they start to reduce their ability to breathe and they're not really sure of it. So they've got a low toler- uh, high tolerance to shortness of breath. Okay? Yeah, okay. And my training increases that tolerance to shortness of breath so i'm actually making this it's a really small subset of asthmatics but again there's no research or no yeah you're sort of like got like blazing a trail yeah that's right i'm like where's the evidence for this who who am i talking to and it's actually you're you're doing it for the first time so and so are you then putting that information out there like is that why you have your fletcher techniques uh website yeah so you're like putting that information out there because it's not out it there. wasn't out there before yeah so then we trained um, 430 physios around australia on how to deliver those interventions um and that was great you know it was like all right guys this is an intervention where you, there's a product involved it's really easy to deliver these services to clients they're located on your gp's database and go for it like this is how you do it like and these are the mistakes that i made just don't fuck it up like it's yeah. pretty easy you know um, and I sort of put that to bed. Well, it's, it's still operating, but I, I, I exclusively focus on, you know, I get really bored in the clinic if I'm seeing the same thing, which yeah. is why I, I really work with high, just athletes who are interested in the breath. Like yeah. if someone comes to me and they're not interested in asking questions and how can I improve, then, you know, I don't really want to work with that person. It's like, yeah. all right, let's, let's try some shit out, you know. Um, let's build some stuff that'll work for you, you know, and working... You know, I started working in this space with Cirque du Soleil athletes, you know, and it was... And yeah, it was how did that whole thing come about? Because that's got to be a pretty interesting story in itself. So you were doing physio for Cirque du Soleil, right? Yeah, so I, I've got a corporate health company, um, Safe and Healthy, 
and we try to improve the um, the health of the nation starting at the workplace. That's our motto. And then as a result of that, I got dragged into Cirque du Soleil uh, and it was try to improve the health of the circus athletes. And I got drafted onto Cusa, which was one of the strongest athletic shows at Cirque had. So Cirque have a bunch or a variety of shows ranging from dancey, theatrical. Ba- ballet sort of yeah, style ones, yeah. All the way to Cusa, which was an athletic get the best circus athletes and put them under a tent and create some fucking story to join it all together you know but we're really here to watch these freaks yeah, yeah. that's right so yeah. wheel of death high high wire athletes like um bunky and all these like cool acts were under the big top and and in my opinion and i've seen that show thousands of or hundreds of times um it's the best circ show so if you get an opportunity to see kuza k-o-o-z-a it's fantastic for its athletic ability what would those athletes like as people like are they extreme people because like i can't imagine the dedication and like weird kind of headspace you would have to occupy to like be a trapeze artist Mm. or a high wire guy like there's got to be some really random people that have like some very interesting stories that come from that world right man that was the best bit of it that was for sure i imagine it was like my first patient uh in the circus so I'm, i'm my boss was next to me and i was there and we were both treating someone i was treating a russian trapeze artist and um treating her back and she's like so Fletcher when are we going to fuck and it was my first patient you know? <laughs> and I'm like I'm like looking at her I'm looking at my boss was she hot? Uh, yeah she's alright you know um, <laughs> and I was looking at my boss like just shitting myself going like how do I answer this you know I'm like oh look you know, I don't think it's appropriate you know I don't think that's appropriate patient yeah you know, patient uh, and like probably the f- and then my boss pulls me aside at the end of the day and I'm like you know what the fuck he goes all right you can fuck her and i'm like (laughs) i'm like what and he goes but there's another trapeze artist and if you create like if you fuck her but then you fuck her as well then it's going to create a fight and then that's when you get in trouble you know i'm like oh okay so i'm probably best not to fuck her right and he's i didn't say that i just said don't create a fight you know so that world that circus world is exactly how you would think it you know like big russian dudes small little Chinese handstand artists who have gone through this regime where they line them up against the wall, do a handstand. If you fall over, you're on the street. If you keep doing a handstand, you've got an opportunity to move to the next level, you know. Um, Some crazy poker games, you know, like of Russians and Colombians and, you know, Colombian dudes doing the wheel of death and like, you know, it's... But that, that was my first entrance into athletic breathing, right? So we were in Japan and we had the Fukushima um, incident, you know, the earthquake and yeah. the, the whole thing. Um, and we got evacuated to, um, to China. Yeah. Um, and we were off for two weeks and two weeks in Macau partying at the casino having a crazy time. Macau's you know? a crazy place, eh? We, I didn't leave the casino pretty much. We got put up in the casino and we were doing lots of gambling. And, what um, is it with Chinese and gambling, dude? So, like, because when I lived in the States, we used to go to Vegas, like, pretty much every three weeks. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's just, they fucking love it. <laughs> and then Macau is, like, a copy of yeah. Vegas. Like, yeah. they have the same hotels. Like, yeah. what is it? Like, I don't get it. I'm not a gambler. and uh, I'm not either. Yeah. But, what, like, why are they so into it? I don't, I don't understand. And I know there would be a cultural explanation. Yeah. I just don't get it. Did you get any insight into it? No, look, uh, most of the poker games and the and the, uh, and the gambling we did was with the Russians and with the uh, yeah. Colombians, you know. And that was, I don't know, it was just fun, you know, we drinking whiskey and playing poker. 
Um, and the Chinese guy, he's pretty reserved. He'd gone through, you could see some of the stories that he told us and um, you know, he was the best, he won the Golden Clown two years before the show started, so which is the best circus act in the world. If you, Can we bring it up? Yeah, yeah, what is yeah. it? So look up uh, uh, Kuza um, Chairs Gong Li. So his act is balancing on chairs, so he stacks up Gong Li, uh, yeah, G-O-N-G-L-I, Kuza Chair Act. So he won the Golden Clown for this act. Yeah, that top one. So the chairs are just... So they're just normal chairs, right? So here you see someone passing up... Um, chairs to him um and this guy is like he is a fucking athlete he is supremely fit so and the chairs they're not normal chairs but they're not linked in right so there's no like knobs on them that that hold them together and i think at that time he's probably got six chairs um balanced on top of each other so this is I, i think this is his act for the golden clown so then he gets chosen to to be in Cirque du Soleil after this act because he wins the... Um, so is this like a trial run for Cirque du Soleil? No, no, this is this is just like a performance. Um, like, who is the best circus athlete in the world? So look at him, man. He's fucking shredded, Dude, right? he is Jack City. And we took him through shoulder rehab, so he had shoulder surgery as well and just swapped arms. He used to be all what? right arm. Yeah, and then just goes, fuck it, I'm just going to the left. So watch this next bit here. Boom. No way, dude. So, and he stacks on more chairs after this. Is, look at that. Boom. What the fuck? So, and this guy is an athlete. Like, you watch him do, like, double backflips and all this sort of crazy shit. Um, but his story is about um, being selected for the, just to be a handstand artist. Yeah. And the little guy that passes him up, um, up chairs is his, like, little assistant guy. He was part of his training program as well. So... Again, not locked in, you know, those chairs are just balancing on each other and it's his control that enables the chairs to stay there, his dedication to his training, but also the, the process that he went through to say, all right, well, you have what it takes to, to be a handstand artist for China. Um, and he's that good and dedicated that, you know, he got to be the, did the, you, the best in the world. Did you get any, like, any of his backstory? Like, wh- Like, how do you even get into this kind of thing and, like, because you've got to be an artist in some way to like create an act right like there's a theatrical element to it there's like the athletic element there's Mm. the crowd element there's like the shock and awe element like dude what the fuck he's like that doesn't look safe at all it's not safe. and my point was i we were in we got taken out to, to macau and then two weeks later we were the first show back in japan performing all right that and, is insane. And the aftershocks. So oh. so I had Wheel of Death artists. I had people balancing on high wire eight meters in the air. And I had this guy like balancing on chairs. Aftershocks, right? And they're like legitimately shaking the stage, shaking the chairs. And these guys were shitting their pants before they're about like they're warming up. And then there's this thing called earthquake syndrome where you go through an earthquake and you go through a few aftershocks. And then you just think that you ha- there's an earthquake happening right because yeah. it's just it's built built in right so you always had to have a, like a glass of water near just to see oh, just to really? see the ripples yeah because yeah, okay. you go fuck is that an earthquake uh, and we actually had a we had an aquarium with fish dangling and then that was our sort of warning sign but these guys are warming up backstage and then there's a significant aftershock which happened for months afterwards and then they got to go and do that and there's no like there's no ropes or anything, no. you know. Like actually, he's done if he falls off that. That's right. He's eating 
bitch, but we actually had to bring in some strategies to minimize the risk because the insurance company said, we're not going to let this show go on because of the aftershocks. Yeah, yeah. If he, if there's an aftershock, let me look at the chairs wobbling now, all right? So if there's an aftershock at that point there, like he's cooked, right? Did he's you gone. test his breathing muscles like that diaphragm like because yep. you talk about core like mm. that is all core like what he's doing there yep yep and and Did different he test pretty solid it's so i can't remember that was a long time yeah. ago but um i have all the results but it's it's so individual like that i, yeah. I could not predict what someone would test i just know if you've got a strength training background like a powerlifter, you'll probably test high yeah um and i would think that a swimmer i would have thought that a swimmer would be the same but that's not always the case i've yeah. tested a lot of swimmers generally these guys were okay but he was a dedicated athlete and had to be in that scenario yeah but I'd, i had some russian guys that would warm up with a cigarette yeah that, that was their warm-up you know just or, that old school crazy or they'd smoke a joint you know yeah. like that's their warm-up to go out on stage you know <laughs> And uh, so these guys weren't... What were the Russian dudes doing mostly? Um, mostly this act called... Uh, it's They do backflips and land on each other, you know? So oh, there's, there's like a yeah, um, yeah, yeah. like a seesaw act yeah. and then they jump on one end of the seesaw and get flicked up and they yep. land on... Um, so that's most... That was a troop of Russians, you know? So there was a bunch of guys in that. You know, they're like building people, three people high. Yeah. The big Russian guys on the bottom, medium Russian guy in the middle, and then this little guy would fly through the air and land on the second guy, you know? It's pretty cool. Um, like, I, I never, even the whole time I was in uh, Vegas, like, I never went to a Cirque du Soleil. Like, I've never really been into it, but, like, I'm watching that clip there. I'm like, fuck, yeah. I need to go into, like, a <laughs> rabbit hole. Of- well, there's, a, there's one coming in soon, uh, and it's a pretty good show. I can't remember what it's called. Um, I think it's coming in January... To Australia, so yeah. I'll see what I can do. That'd be um, sick. Yeah, yeah, I've never been to one. It's uh, it's fantastic, and if you get torched before you go, that's always good. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> the um, the that Chinese dude, like, what kind of training was he doing? And were you doing anything with their training or just their recovery? Uh, depending on the athlete. So he was a dedicated athlete. Um, you know, he looked after his own meals, looked after his own training, had a little guy that trained him, that looked after him, you know. Um, so he was well taken care of. Some of the Russians, right? You're living in Japan, you're drinking heaps of booze. And coming back into Japan throughout that process, and a lot of people were like, fuck this, we don't want to be here. You know, like there was a nuclear incident, you know, so people yeah. were scared about where we were getting our food from. There was also the aftershock component, you know, which was scaring a lot of people. So the promoter's uh, solution to calming the anxiety of the athletes was to just get them drunk all the Booze time. On, boys. Yeah. yeah, and so we had the best time, you know. I I was new to the circus um, in that in that incident, and I remember we were at this party, uh, and I had a beer and a sumo wrestler, like the number one sumo wrestler in the world, just grabbed my beer off me and sculled it in front of me. And I was just like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> right. But and that, that was my issue. It was like all these guys, the Russians were getting fat because they weren't training because they were getting drunk all the time. Yeah. So I had to run exercise classes to keep them not getting fat, right? If you go to see a Cirque du Soleil show and you see They're a bunch jacked, of fat yeah. Russians, yeah. <laughs> who the fuck are these guys? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I can do this. Yeah. Um, so part of the artistic element was making sure they looked good as well. Yeah, because you know? they're, they're performers at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, and um, had to look jacked and had to look like it was... And you know, some of the tricks that he does and some of the tricks that you see the guys do on stage, and this is an insight into circus life. It was one of the guys could do a... Um, five backflips after getting flicked off the 
the board, five black flips in the air and land on his feet on a mattress, you know? That's crazy. But it looked like he was just holding on and hoping that he could do five backflips. Yeah. Right? Whereas if he did four backflips, it looked beautiful. Yeah, okay. Us as consumers would look at the four backflips, look at beautiful and would not tell the difference between four or five because it's yeah. like, yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, so most of the tricks that they do on stage are well within their boundaries okay. uh, and are performed artistically rather than like, you know, technically, or huh. this is the hardest trick I can do. You That's know? interesting. So they're not on the edge no. of their, well, I mean, it makes sense, but to us, it's so outlandish yeah. that we're like, holy fuck, how is that even real? Yeah. So I'll make probably stack another 20 chairs. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. But you know what's, it's gnarly. And this is why I have so much respect for the motocross guys, which is the world that I'm more predominantly come from is like, yeah. those dudes are on the fucking edge yeah really dude yeah, on okay. the edge like every race could be your last race oh in a racing scenario yeah what and, about like the training jumps? dude like well those guys especially like dude harry bink have you listened to his podcast no i haven't have, have you met him no or, dude best follow on instagram you okay. need to follow him right away yeah right. um but like he will he did this uh let's find this. yeah because that's interesting because they've just started a show as well with Cirque so there's a bunch of um, motocross guys and, and um, extreme sports or athletes in that space now that Cirque have tapped into so they have a show where they have skateboarders and motorcyclists and that's a new show I think it's only a year old I don't know if it's been a success or not so um, this is Harry so like basically is he an Aussie? he lives just up the road oh fantastic yeah yeah so he's um crazy 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 dude yeah right. but he basically so um he goes for this trick this has never been done before yeah and alright so he lands it but I wonder if they're gonna show um oh the, alright so this is like the recap video so like he basically I'll just fast forward it so yeah. he's never done this trick before right yeah so it's in competition it's a front flip let's go of the bike completely yeah um, and then tries to land so he's never done it he's just practicing it over and over and over keeps crashing keeps yeah. crashing um, I'm trying to go to the I wish I just found like the right video here we need Mick I miss Mick um but even like the um, the scenario of, of falling and, and I mean, like look at the safety equipment that they have there. Like surely that's like enabled these guys to start doing this crazy shit, right? Yeah, they've definitely taken... Um, oh, this wasn't the right video. That must be this year. Um, sorry, man, I really... No, wanna, no worries. I want to find this clip. Like, I remember watching, like, when I was growing up, the first backflip. Dude, right? Like, I was like, and it was just like, fuck. what is going yeah. on? Like, people literally thought it was impossible. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, I just really want to find it because it just shows, like, the commitment of it. So, basically, um, he knocked himself. Like, so, the trick, he's never done it. He's yeah. only done it onto these, like, resi ramps and stuff like yeah. that. So, he goes and he does the roll-in for his run so this yep. is best trick you get you get two goes to mm-hmm. do the best trick that you can yep. he rides down the ramp not knowing if he can land mm. this and then all the airbags are gone all mm. the safety stuff's gone okay. it's, it's a resi ramp yeah. so you're not hitting concrete they've got like a a, a layer of plastic yeah. uh, or like rubber okay. and then some sort of some compression underneath yeah. it so you're like not like a WWE ramp exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah perfect yeah. yeah 
So, but still, like, it's bad, Heard. bad. You can land on your head crash. and die. Yeah. yeah. So, Harry, uh, oh, is this it? No. So, anyway, he um, he goes up, does the front flip, over-rotates, lands just bang on his head. Like, no, I think he pre- he pretty much lands, like, past the, the safety zone of the ramp as well and hits his head, gets knocked out. So, yeah. he doesn't know where he is. All his visor gets smashed yeah. off. He then has... They go to commercial. Mm. He has two minutes to ride back up to the ramp. <laughs> new helmet, fucking new No, bike. just ev- everything's the same, dude. Oh, no way. And he sits at the top of the ramp and then he fucking does it. <laughs> so it's like... So I guess the Cirque du Soleil guys, mm. it's like they're dialing in their performance to be within their limits so yeah. they can do that show every night. Yep. In contrast, you get these FMX dudes... Mm where it's like they've got no fucking idea mm. they have this one or two times a year mm-hmm. where they're trying to push it so far past the envelope yeah that like they don't know that the trick's possible yeah. that's never been done before yeah and so in, and then in harry's case un- like knocked himself out told the medics i'm good i'm good and he fucking lands a trick <laughs> it's so heavy dude like the the games that, that yeah. they play and like the commitment level yeah. to sit at that ramp and like when he was on the podcast and he was talking about it, it was just like the coolest shit ever because it's like, like what's just, his headspace after he crashes and then coming back like well, you've got I don't think two minutes or whatever there isn't a headspace right, in the middle <laughs> like I think it's gone yeah, yeah because of the like hitting your head that hard and stuff yeah right but like like he said like he's riding to that ramp in mm. the run and it, he's so scared yeah but to still commit yeah, that's right it's yeah. so like that to me is just this crazy crazy impressive headspace that that's those, right and it'd be the same for like hippo and those dudes when they see that fucking giant mm. wave coming at them and then like dude when i surf burly i won't mm. go on waves <laughs> you know it'll be yeah. like six foot and i'll be yeah. like <laughs> fucking nah but the same look thing like a closeout the circus guys that's where i started with the breathing like these guys are literally backstage Right, there's three thousand people in the audience, three thousand Japanese people chanting, carrying on like like wildfire, backstage balancing on a wire, and then the wire shakes. Right, and then these guys, these are four brothers that have been doing this high wire show for years and generations, like family generations of high wire, and they know that thing shakes, you know. And then these guys start shitting their pants, and then because they wouldn't have safety stuff either, they eh? didn't at the time, and half of their shows without safety, and then we had to bring in safety at halfway through but still you've got it's a double wire so eight meters and then four meters so you got four meters you fall from the top and land on the second wire he just cuts a limb off right that's so, so gnarly dude and it's like the same like i didn't know and didn't understand how to use the breath to get someone from like which, which i was asking about harry like what do you do to recover from smashing yourself up yeah or being backstage to balance you on a wire that's shaking going out in front of an audience and then composing yourself, you know, there's techniques involved with that that yeah. you can tap into to see where you're at, where your mood's at, see where your performance level's at. And unless you've done some of that stuff, you don't know. You know yeah. Or there's some crazy guys, which is probably Harry, who just are like blank. They are just, it's you know? just, they literally manually override mm. fear. Yeah. Which, you know, that might be what, 2% mm. of 1% of mm. the population point? Like, whatever, I don't who know. Who the fuck yeah. knows how many mm. people can just manually hit that override and yeah. just go yeah when the consequences are life or death and like, like you said the commitment it's like oh. you've got to like you got to pull on that bar you've got to let you go of that bike everything yeah. right yeah it's it's insane it's a crazy headspace and there's a couple dudes that i that because have you worked with many motocross guys no 
So motocross is crazy because it's 30 minutes of your heart rate is basically redlining for 30 minutes and then it's anaerobic and it's aerobic at the same time like Mm -hmm. it's a very very intense activity and there really isn't a resting period in it yeah like and especially the the crazier thing too is like as the race goes on the dirt gets tougher to ride yeah so it's the it all crescendos yeah and so you're fatiguing while the the intensity is increasing is increasing yeah so it's like it's a very crazy sport there's a couple guys i'd love to send you and i'd love for harry to go yeah and do something with you as well because i think that you know with the the studies that show the link between like you said breathing and then your own nervous system Mm. then you know there is those overrides that you, you know, can tap all into the some techniques stuff. you can actually tap into yeah and the, um, another crazy thing with the breathing stuff is like anxiety mm. do you deal with people that suffer from like anxiety at all well, i suppose not now that you're doing the athlete stuff but nah, more um, more so yeah i suppose because they have like performance anxiety mm. right so hippo is a classic case like when we started talking to him and delving deeper into it it was that process of waiting you know how do you prepare yourself when you could be waiting 20 minutes to die you know like and then you see it coming you know what is the how do you keep yourself on that without burning out you know without getting too chilled there's a performance you know, and, and every person has we call it the arousal level right so yeah. where you're performing at your peak when people perform at their peak they feel like it's really easy you know like that nothing's hard so how do you tap into that when you're waiting for 20 minutes you know out the back so there's certain techniques that we use with Ryan to keep to manage that performance anxiety level, um, and I've worked with some elite, um, one of my kayakers, um, Elise Burnett. So she's an interesting case where they have about five or six minutes before, and she's she's world champion now. So and she's at that level where she wants to be Olympic gold medalist, you know, um, and she certainly can be. You know, she's a very talented um, kayaker. Um, what kind of kayaking is she doing? Like the K1. crazy fucking... Nah, nah, like the flat water. Oh, one. just straight pin yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and she's got five minutes from when she leaves the docks or something to before she lines up at that. In the staging. In the staging. Yeah, 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 okay. And that can be one minute, two, three... It's very random you yeah know? yeah and she feels like that she gets too chilled you know and sometimes when she's lining up and there's an olympic champion and in kayaking they're big fucking people you yeah know, the big people were others so and she's quite quite a small she's very muscular but she's quite small compared to the other bigger athletes so they can like put her off you know and then she's like looking at the olympic champion there and then the german over here and then so she gets a little bit uh challenged sometimes you know whether it's she's too chilled out or she's looking at the competitors and feeling too freaked out you know so we've worked on on how to control that level of anxiety you know just essentially going inward and a really easy one is to blow all the air out and hold your breath in a negative space um and you just count right and then when your body asks for you to take a breath you'll have a count well let's say for mine's 11 right 11 seconds so i'll just count breathe all the air out 11 seconds and i know that i'm pretty good right but if I'm really anxious, all right, then I'll blow all my air out and hold my breath and then four or five seconds later, my body will want to take a breath. And I know that I'm on not in the right space. There's something stressing me out. You oh, know? so from the time you blow all of your air out to the time that your body wants a breath, it, it should be 11 seconds. It, it could be whatever it is. But, but you for need, you, sorry. For me, 11. But yep. if it's four, then you know that you're stressed out. That's right. Huh, yeah. that's, that's super cool. Yeah, and then I need to put in techniques to manage it to get it back to 11. Yeah. You know, so that that's for me, you know, and we worked on with Elise as well and we said... 
this is your number release and this is how you bring yourself up and this is how you bring yourself down and um, so that she can she knows her number and then she can dial that in when she's on the Olympic stage or when she's at world champions chips or whatever you know and so how does it work then for the opposite because you just said that sometimes she feels too chill because that's my struggle with competition yeah so like you you go to this they're fucking shit like mm. the way they run yeah so like you get rock up at eight o'clock you weigh in and then you just wait yeah and they always run over time so like they might say your fight's at eight it's probably going to be at 10 yeah so then you'll do your first match and then like you go so you go all fucking day with mm. doing nothing mm-hmm. and then i find it so hard to get fired up for that first match yeah like i just feel real like just slack and yeah. like not into it mm-hmm. and it's all yeah i haven't figured that side of it out but then on the opposite end it's like you do your first fight and then they'll put on the next person in the bracket so that's mm-hmm. five minutes mm-hmm. and then you've got another so you've got five minutes rest to then go back in so you've gone from like all this waiting with like no real mm. build like hype and you feel too chilled out yeah and then you get thrown into five minutes on five minutes off five minutes on five minutes off mm-hmm. five minutes on and then you you're almost on like the opposite end of that spectrum yeah. so like do you have breathing techniques that you do for her to like fire her up yeah yeah so you, i mean a, a, an interesting case um like leaving elise aside the first intervention i did um in a team environment was with the brisbane broncos so yeah they were having people run from the um from the bench onto the field right and there's this thing called oxygen deficit where you go from zero to hero you know and being on the bench you do a couple of runs up and down the field you know you might be on the bike or something yeah um and you run into 100 percent. you know you're running into a scrum or you're running into a defensive tackling system yeah. and so what they started seeing was that the those guys that ran out for the first like one to five minutes of them being on the field they were fucked you know they were really short of breath really puffing and, and then you add the adrenaline everything. spike into that yeah as well. yeah everything so these guys were cooked you know and then it took them that five minutes to get into the game you know so yeah. what intervention can we bring in place to reduce their shortness of breath levels or improve their performance for that one to five minutes when they run off the bench you know and there's clear evidence around that, around filling the breathing muscles with blood by by challenging the breathing muscles with a, a device, by cha- by making yeah, it harder okay. to breathe in. Yeah. So then what we're doing is we're essentially saying to the body, we're ready to go, you know, and working with hippos, the same thing. His first wipeout is the most scary because it's just, it's foreign to him. So how do we simulate that first wipeout so that he's ready to go when yeah. he goes out on the field? And same with Elise. How do what sort of thing, and it's all individual. It's I can't yeah. say that this is yeah, the one thing to do. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it depends on the person. We might try something that I think works, and then I'll come back and like, how is that going? Uh, no, not so good. You know, uh, and that's all my shit is. Listen, think about it. Put some things in place. Measure it or get some feedback, and then if we have to change it, we change it. You yeah. Know? Uh, if it's not delivering the results that we want, we try something else. And it and with the breath stuff because it it has that esoteric component you know like there is a bit of a spiritual side to the breath and people can behave differently when you do certain things um that i never i try to eliminate for a full prescription this is what you need to do for for, to bring yourself up or bring yourself down but there's certainly many many different techniques you know listening to music or flexing your muscles or wim hof stuff or you know many different ways to bring yourself up or down it's interesting that whole spiritual link to breathing and you look at like kundalini Mm. you look at um just i guess yoga in general Mm -hmm. 
do you think that there is before we had the science to like understand that there is a link between breathing and the nervous system mm. do you think that that's what it was it, that there was this spiritual thing around it because we just didn't know the science behind it but it's like if you breathe like this for this long then mm. you will feel different you will feel the euphoria you'll get the you know you can hyperventilate you mm. can feel like the times that I've done it you get like tingly and then the Wim Hof stuff mm-hmm. where it's like you can sit in the fucking ice mm. so it's like do you think that that spiritual link was just like a lack of the scientific understanding that's like breathing is a pathway to that uh, to the nervous system that is like a, a hack pathway yeah uh, like the pranayama stuff has been around for thousands of years you know like I think that's a really defin- definitive like pathway that people have been doing without really knowing the science behind it um, and just getting the benefits from it and feeling the benefits from it, you know, um, clearing the nasal cavities, you know, getting in touch with just taking that time out, you know, is, is um, you know, breathing and meditation has a space and just taking that time for yourself to cleanse or to think or to, to do something that's a little different. Um, you know, we certainly know now that, um, you know, the, there's avenues for sympathetic nerve activity and parasympathetic nerve activity and reducing heart rate and all those sorts of things using the breath. Um, that that's probably why like, and I kind of have this thought that, um, you know, we're kind of moving into this, uh, like maybe spiritual awakening phase of, of society in general. For sure. Uh, like I feel it. Like, for and, sure. Um, and the breath popularity is, is probably being pulled along with it. Yeah. Um, that people are sort of understanding that, probably letting go of that financial aspect of of drive you know like for, for so many years now that profits and growth and margins and continued exponential growth we want like people are sort of like, okay well fuck that's all right but it's not really like serving me you know it's not really yeah. filling my soul you know and what, what's filling my soul and that is sort of a shift back towards the self or towards the the purpose and um and having your own individual purpose and i think that the breath sort of starts that process really easy because we can all do it, which is why the Wim Hof, I think, has got a lot of popularity because you just do it and, it, yeah. and it's working in and it's a new feeling, you know? It's like, it feels spiritual, you know, because yeah. there's certain things that are happening with inside the body because of the yeah. shift of the pH. You can start feeling things, you're flushing, you're tingly, all these sorts of things. Oh, what's this? This is a new feeling for me, you know, and I'm, I'm joining a movement and it's like, you know, like, and I, yeah. I love that stuff. And I used to put all that esoteric stuff uh, to the side, you know, I was Mr. Science Because guy. you were more science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to measure this shit. I want to see a change, blah, blah, blah. But within probably the last two years, you know, um, I've started to, um, you know, I went through a Vedic meditation course recently as well. And then that sort of. How was that? It was good. It was. Um, so what, what exactly is that? Uh, it's just using a sound or a mantra to connect to um, to that esoteric, you know, to that, okay, well, this is using, repeating that mantra in the head and then my teacher says it's, you've got to give it as much effort as a butterfly landing on a leaf, you know. So you've got to direct your attention to that and then a thought will come in, right? Fuck, I've got to do the shopping or I've got to do this thing. I've got to stress about this. It'll come into the head and then you've got to let it permeate within the brain or within the mind, he calls it. And then you've got to direct your attention back towards the the mantra with as much effort as a butterfly landing on a leaf. And so, so you, what would be like an example of a mantra that you'd use? Uh, just a, just a, like, like a, a word. No, a word, yeah. Like 
Bian. Bian is, is like, I don't even know if that is a mantra, but that would might be what you repeat. So he sits down with so you. So it's just a sound it's that a you sound. can like, it does it like ground you in the meditation right. almost. It's like the thing that you will direct your attention okay, towards in softly. Your consciousness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there shouldn't be any effort in it. So, so you're just sitting there. Do you, are you verbally saying it? You do at the start, like when you first learn it, but then you quickly sort of let go of it and then you just essentially close your eyes and find a nice space and then you just repeat it in your head and just sort of gravitate towards that idea of what that bian or whatever it is um, gives you, you know, and then you'll feel a difference. It's 20 minutes long. So that. you do that you, and you're like sitting? Sitting, or, yeah. Yep. Sitting once in the morning, once at night. That's the prescription for Vedic meditation. I do it once a day, um, but... You know, I rec- I've recently gone through a relationship breakup and stress and, and I needed something to get rid of the stuff that kept coming into my mind because I couldn't stop it, you know? Yeah. And with the meditation, it just sort of let it come in and then I could let it go, mm. you know? Uh, and there's types of meditation using the breath as well, but then you're focusing yeah, what on the what breathing are you doing? Just, n- don't even, just not even focusing not, so on it. So all you're focusing on is the word? Not even really focusing on it. Yeah, okay. It's just when something comes into my mind and it, it, it is hanging around for too long then i will direct my attention softly towards that sound mm. you know and then i'll just say that in my head and then the thought will go but then it's the physical change within the body that you get you know it's not necessarily clearing the stress out of my mind but i just feel myself just letting go you okay know? and that's part of the breath hold stuff that you did doing more sessions you will find triggers within your body that enables you to feel more relaxed. For me, it's my shoulders. If I push my shoulders down, like that's my trigger to get my extra breath hold. That's my trigger to release my stress. That's that's my tap. You know, I can tap into that really easy. So if I am feeling really stressed out, I'll just go, oh, okay, fuck, relax. Take a deep, big breath. Yeah. And then l- relax it and let those shoulders just relax down. And I can instantly feel a change. And when I'm saying my mantra, as soon as I get to a place where it's sort of kicking, I'll just feel my shoulders go Kadoosh! like they, they just yeah. drop down, you know. Um, and you see that a lot with people that stress, you know, they're carrying it oh, around I'm like for this, sure like that, yeah. You know? So yeah, my Rich Muir, he's he's lives at Pottsville here, so he's he's been taught by some fantastic um, gurus in that space, and you know me and gurus probably I would just be questioning like what, what are you doing that sort of stuff. Rich is really approachable and and really good at sort of just being a normal dude that has yeah normal guy that has a bit of spiritual aspect to what he to his life which is great and i just wanted to grab a little bit of that during my stressful time yeah um and and it definitely helped you you absolutely yeah yeah yeah. and just to practice as well it's like again that solo time you know we're so busy rushing around doing stuff and ticking boxes that we probably don't tap into to this or to this as much as we should, you know, uh, and that, that practice of 20 minutes in the morning enables me to like, all right, really get into that space. All right, what have I got to do after I'm gone through it? You know, let me lay my day out. What do I want yeah. to achieve? I don't want to increase my sales or that would be great, but, you know, like that, that spiritual component of life, which I feel like there is a big shift towards, you know, in communities are starting to yeah. move down that direction. You know? Did you feel like when you were doing the Circus Olay stuff and then you came home and then you go on and seeing all these doctors and like you were on this like smash forth um, results based, you know, I guess capitalist 
mentality like mm. was there a what were you like really chasing success in like Absolutely. that like a generic work like i guess the yeah, generic meaning of it mm. yeah like i mean being a younger business person or a younger entrepreneur I, it was about sales and growth and product margins and all this sort of stuff you know um but at the heart of, i had a business partner at that time um and he sort of brought that aspect to business you yeah. know it wasn't really my my thought you know as a physiotherapist my job was to help people you know yeah. so and i was really in a lecture at griffith uni here and and i got access to great research and i'm a clinician and i'd love helping people you know so by melding what my business partner was and what i was doing we could find a happy medium of capitalist nature but also allied health or helping people as well as at the heart that, like of egalitarian it. sort of side yeah as well. yeah and i was the guy that was talking to the doctors and the patients and my business partner was the guy talking to the product manufacturers and that sort of stuff you know? yeah um so that was an interesting learning experience as a young business person going through that and um i feel like now i've got a business um safe and healthy where our mission is to change the health um, of the nation starting at the workplace you know um I feel like that uh, it's the employer's job now is to look after the health of their employees and there's this motto around zero harm. We won't hurt anyone at our workplace, you know, and I reckon that's bullshit. I reckon we need positive impact in the workplace. Yeah, you need to actually make people yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. We spend so much time. neutral force. That's right. We spend so much time there and there's such an opportunity. You know, two years ago, we tried to make people pay seven bucks to go and see their GP. You know, and the nation fucking did a backflip. They were like, holy shit, we're not paying seven bucks for health, you know? Like, so we know that people aren't going to pay money for, to improve their health. You know, the, the average consumer, you know, we might buy protein powders and we might go to the yeah. doctor, we might see, um, you know, health people or exercise physiologists to improve our health because we're informed, we're educated, but the majority of people won't pay money to improve their health. They would never pay a dietitian to have a consultation with yeah. them, you know? So that's where I really feel like the win is, is like, all right, employers, if you start addressing the health of your employees and it doesn't, we're not turning them into marathon runners. We're not turning mm. them into like Arnold Schwarzenegger's or anything. We're just giving these guys some simple tools to address the rut that they're currently in, you know, work, get home, drink beers, go back to work. Oh, you know? dude, it's a disgusting cycle. Like, man. and that's what they're in. And the, but it's it's a habit that's formed and then and i mean literally in may the 11th we're climbing mount warning with a bunch of manufacturing workers from a steel mill you know? yeah never climb mount warning in life they live in a beautiful part of australia here in southeast queensland let's give them some dietitians and some exercise physiologists and then help them achieve something not weight yeah. loss challenge not step challenge just get outdoors you know yeah um and that that's my passion again about the health component um but there is a challenge in a capitalist component to how do we make money or how does my business survive in that without, you know, create, I want to create an environment where everyone wins. Yeah. You know? And, and that's, that can happen in that corporate space and that corporate health space where the, the, um, the company pays my, myself, my, my business money. We help the employee get healthier. The employee helps the business become more productive yeah, and, and then more it's safe. Like everyone's winning. Yeah. And then yeah. everyone, that cycle just continues, you know, um, and it's taken me a long time to find a model like that, you know, yeah. where everyone does win, you know, and I say that to to any companies out there or, or even to any employees or any staff members that are looking for jobs. It's like, look, this is a model where literally everyone wins. So let's yeah. let's try some new shit out in, you know, the same idea of the breathing stuff. Let's do that in the corporate space, you know, yeah. climb out warning or we did a quit smoking one where we challenged people to hold their breath, 
you know so we know it takes on average seven times for someone to quit smoking um so let's head them down that journey of seven times and they think that they've already done the most damage to their lungs because they're like well fuck it i'm just going to keep smoking now yeah you do a breath training program with them quite quickly they start holding their breath for one and a half two and a half three minutes they're like oh i must be improving yeah so we did a breath training program to help quit smoking which is way outside of the box you know yeah that's not the norm yeah and then that's the sort of stuff that i do in that corporate space along with you know the um the physio the breathing training stuff you know it is um i think you are right that there is now a shift that is going towards um more of that spiritual mm. more of like let's just be fucking happy That's you right. know let's like even my dad man like my dad worked for our city council as a kid and he worked there for fucking 20 years and he come home at the same time every day left the same time every day mm. made fuck all money mm. and was just like bummed mm. doing it and then like my memories of my dad in that are like very negative memories of like in terms of working and i think it really shaped me to live a life of like i'm just gonna work for myself Mm -hmm. like i don't want to fucking deal with that shit Mm. because every day he came home and there would be like this fucking pissed off dude until he like literally chilled it it was like he was on a come down Mm. from work and like it fucking scarred me Mm. but you know eventually like an hour or two would go by and then we'd get our dad back we'd go off to footy training and and there was such a polarity between like this happy dude that was with us at football training taking us to ride motocross fixing our bikes like there was that guy but then there was that guy and Mm. i was like fuck dude like Mm. i don't want to be living that dual life yeah and but i mean so like he was so ingrained in that system for so long Mm -hmm. and now Mm. he works as little as he can Mm -hmm. to get by he goes on fucking asian holidays with my mom Mm -hmm. and like just we just rode through vietnam for 10 days and like travels all over and it's like this complete shift for this guy that's in his 50s Mm. so it's like something is happening Mm -hmm. to where like if that dude and Mm. you know steel workers can go Mm. and climb a mountain like Mm. there is something going on between that and i think too that where i'm at with the podcast is in a similar thing with what you said is like i feel like everyone wins in this Mm you know like i certainly benefit immensely from like just this space Mm -hmm. of the two people talking Mm -hmm. and then to give that information to people like you know you get crazy messages from people that say how this has helped and how you know certain conversations and things that seem like just a passing comment in a podcast that really speaks to somebody Mm -hmm. and it's like you just don't know who you can affect and and what positive impact you can have you know and like Mm -hmm then what you said about purpose like that's important Mm -hmm. like purpose is what you need in life because and especially like life's fucking hard absolutely man and it's like it sucks there's like so much of your life is gonna suck so (laughs) but in really yeah absolutely and even for successful people even for and you know you look at musicians that commit suicide actors Mm -hmm. and like so they're the people that seemingly have everything Mm -hmm. like you have all the things that you're supposed to have money fame people that love you blah 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 Mm -hmm. and they're not happy Mm -hmm. so it's like what you need to do is find that purpose and then it makes it easier for the shit to suck Mm -hmm. because you're like well it sucks for this yeah or it sucks so i can do this yeah and it's like i think now people are starting to go like all right i need to figure out what the fuck it is i'm actually doing this Mm -hmm. for and like make some sense of it because 
you know, at the end of the day, life is going to be harder more than it's going to be easier. Yeah. So it's like, you've got to have a rock. You've got to have something that you can, like, I guess that word mm. where it's like when those problems come in, yeah. then, you know, you can ground yourself in that. Yeah. And like, this is what the struggle is for in a, yeah. in a sense, you know? Yeah. It feels like that just the everyday consumer is more educated now because of maybe the internet or technology. Have, so yeah, you, your dad has part. seen like what is available in terms of work you know yeah. like okay well before i didn't know what was out there you know so this was my mundane job that i was going to and i was unhappy there and my boss was a dickhead and i was getting treated like shit and i was getting underpaid and i was getting asked to do all these overtime hours but now you know even working in manufacturing where a lot of my uh, my connections are like the young guys coming through are expecting something from their organization yeah you know, it's not like you get a job you will just do the fucking job or you will quit or you'll get out of it that's that message exists in some of the factories we work at and part of my job is to train their managers to not talk like that to their staff because they will they will certainly die the company will die if they mm. continue to operate like that you know the titty girls on the wall the Johnny loves dick written up here, that, all that stuff. Like it can't exist now. Yeah, you know, yeah. you need to create an environment where your workers are happy, um, and you need to create an environment where the biggest thing that I I've, I feel like is the most value from the, the packages that we sell companies is training managers on empathy. Yeah, you know, like this person, they might be pissed off because they're wife's done something that's not nice or yeah. that their kid's just fucked up at school. Like, well, the kid's just an asshole. That's right. <laughs> their, their life is going to bring you into the workplace now and you can't just yell at your worker now to and do say, the job. just detach. That's yeah. right. You can't detach, you know. So listen to the worker, you know. What's wrong, Johnny? You know, like, oh, fuck. Kid's just cut himself open or he's, he's on drugs or something's happened and I'm having a real hard time struggling about it. Okay, so first of all, listen oh Johnny that must be hard you know like I got a son too and he's younger so if you whatever you learn through that and then empathize with them is there anything I can do to help you get through the day you know and then give them a solution you know like that's you don't need to solve the issue for them you know you just want to help them to get to the end of their job the end of their shift safely you know yeah and if Johnny's stressed and he's going to make errors at work you know and he's bringing in this stuff from outside of home and more and more I see that happening and, and more and more I just see the need for people to care which is part of that transition to like don't just fucking flog people you know like that spiritual shift about listening to someone like we're doing now having a conversation about stuff it's important you know like put your phone down have a chat with someone you know which is i guess the popular popularity of this type of podcast is it's it's lovely to like listen to two people have a a real conversation about fucking stuff you know and and there and there's no like I think the good thing is like there's no agenda to it mm. and it can go anywhere it can you, it can like be whatever mm. it like it should be i guess like there is no outside influence there's no i don't know it just it does it does feel like it's quite a pure thing to do mm. and it's like if you're open to having that conversation and i think like like Jack Freestone was cool because like even he was saying he's like dude I don't know how I don't know if I've ever sat down and had a conversation for three yeah. hours <laughs> he said maybe like on a plane but yeah. that's like a forced thing and, yeah. and again on a plane you've got no Wi-Fi you've got no this you've got no that yeah but like I think too I mean everything comes in these cycles so it's like we get the internet and then it's like now we're figuring out the internet mm-hmm. and it's like we I think one of the things that I've been like it's something I've been reading about I've been reading about history a lot Mm -hmm. and 
what it's given me this perspective of like we only know the problems of our time mm. from our own point of view mm-hmm. but it's like these large problems now in the span of time it's like this problem will come and go but it might not be solved in our lifetime what do you mean give me an example so like um like money for mm-hmm. example right so there was a point in time where you would have to uh buy something with bags of barley yep and you would need to farm like the, trade almost. exactly yeah, yeah yeah there wasn't a coin that you could give someone that enough people believed in that coin to where that person knew that if he accepted this coin off you that he could go give that to somebody else and then get he could else. exactly yeah. so it's like that was a problem to yeah. like figure out yeah. and there would have been people that lived and died before that problem was figured out mm-hmm. doesn't mean that problem's not getting solved mm. doesn't mean that there's this like huge crisis it's just a crisis for those people that exist in At the time, time where it's not figured out mm. and i've been trying to apply that thinking to like a lot more stuff that seems like these problems now that like that oh we've got to fix this or mm. the internet or instagram or relationships are fucked nowadays mm. it's like no it's just everything's a new where there's this constant game that the world is the world's turning mm. and we're living on it for this little amount of time mm. and problems might get solved mm. while we're on this time like yeah. aids yeah now you can pretty much cure aids yeah freddie mercury mm-hmm. died of aids mm. If he was alive now, that mm. problem solved. He yeah. died because of a problem that we just, we hadn't figured out yet. Mm. So it's like, I've been trying to just think of this as like, okay, this this is a problem that is a problem of, of our time. Mm. It's it, a little dangerous it, too, I think, sometimes if you think like that. Like think of climate change, you know, a lot of... Yeah, the, I was going to say like climate change is one. Like I think you need to act on it when you can and mm. how you can mm. but i think that a lot of people either like put their hands up in the air and they say it's too hard i'm gonna yeah. give up i think that's like the wrong attitude yeah but i think just to have the perspective of like this will get better yeah like we do f- you know we might be the unlucky ones mm. that the xy situation doesn't get figured out yeah but it's like that doesn't mean that the you know the world's a shit place that's yeah. out to get you it's mm. just this is just the time that we're mm. in there is no magic pill for you know everything that sort of ails us you know yeah it, it's an important perspective to have i think it's um you know that uh i mean we talked just before we started like that we always have problems life's going to be throwing shit at us all the time you yeah. know and we can't expect everything to be fixed and we've got to be able to deal with the problems that's you know? what i mean like and, and it's not a, you could apply that mentality of like well i'm probably going to die before it's fixed or whatever yeah but it's more of like because I, th- I, th- I think people get like too bogged down in problems yeah that's right Yeah, and I think that this is my way of like a rationale of like look if we just keep working mm-hmm. keep chugging along we might be the people that contribute to the solution it might we might see it in our lifetime we might mm-hmm. not but you know the problem will get solved there is always a way that these problems do get solved like contribute to it mm-hmm. Have a crack. Yeah, the motto ha- is have yeah, a crack. Have a crack yeah. at solving it. Yeah. But don't like live in the problem. Yeah. Like the, these things come and go. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's just like, I guess it's just a, a perspective or an idea of like a way of looking at it to where it's like, I'm not as stressed out about shit as I was mm. because it's just like, it not everything's going to get fixed now. Yeah. You know, like you can sort of have some patience and, and just not get bogged down in, mm. in the thing. The meditation is really good for that is like in in terms of understanding that, you know, we're talking about rushing before and getting things done. And I think there's always more time 
than what we think we have. You For know, sure, like man. we've got to get that Instagram post out. We've got to get that done at seven o'clock because that's when everyone like logs on to Instagram. You know, like really, if you don't get it out at seven o'clock, like what is the result? You know, yeah. like so don't stress about it, you know. And creating that stress around whatever the problem is. And for me, that meditation component really allowed me to detach myself. And uh, a course that I just finished as well is just using languages and how powerful that is. You know, like, let's say, um, let's say you piss me off, right? And then I'm like, I'm fucking angry, Jace. Like, that, that's how I'm, because I'm, you did you, this, yeah. you know? Like, just simply changing the words, like, Jace, I'm feeling angry. Yes. Because of what you did to me. You yeah. know? So that detaches me and anger, whereas I'm here and my anger's over here, and that anger is because you did something to me yeah. or whatever happened. And just purely by changing your the way you talk about it, just again, the subconscious, I'm really starting to delve deep into the subconscious and how it affects um your everyday activities because you just don't know how it's affecting yeah. you, you know and just purely by changing your vocabulary or the way you talk about it i feel like it's made a big difference in how i approach life as well you know about not being so stressed out and not having those that need to tick the boxes or get it done at a certain time yeah. um, or if someone does something to me like all right well i feel sad because that happened you know or i'm I'm sad because this relationship ended and this sadness is attached to that relationship now, but that will go, you know, yeah. and I'll be able to build a, a relationship in a different platform. Um, and yeah, it's separate to me as a human being, you know, I'm a human. Dude, um, I totally, totally agree. I was mm. literally having this conversation with a friend who's just gone through a, like a serious breakup mm. and it's not a negative, like mm -hmm. it's not, it wasn't a bad, ugly thing, but it was a, we were together a long time. And, uh, and I'd said to him, and this is one of the things that I try, like this is a personal technique that I try and do is I think that, because when you're sad, it's so, or like when you're heartbroken or when you're ang like really angry, it's so overwhelming. It's such a powerful emotion that it feels like all of you mm. is, is this emotion. Mm -hmm. And I said to my friend, I'm like, you need to realize, and everybody needs to realize that you're not anger. Mm -hmm. you know you're Fletcher mm. and anger is a feeling that is currently flowing through your body mm -hmm. fear is a feeling that comes and goes happiness will come and go anger sat these are feelings that you pass they pass through your body they yeah. aren't you yeah. you're separate to your feelings you're separate your entity your consciousness but these things affect your consciousness they affect how you feel but they don't define you you don't live in that state forever they mm -hmm. have to come and go mm -hmm. otherwise it would just become this baseline you wouldn't know the difference how long they're together for 10 years okay oh so mine was six years yeah okay. um and i can certainly empathize with that you know and for me a lot the biggest learning i had about relationship was through that grief process after it yeah you know it was how like, long ago did you just break up uh like earlier this year yeah you know, so it's still no, fresh fresh yeah, yeah. Um, but sitting in that grief and that sadness and letting them, and as guys, you know, we certainly have walls up to emotions, you know, yeah. we're like, I don't want to feel that you know, or, or I'm going to block that out. And for me, I was going through this course, um, which was opening me up to emotions. And at the same time I was going through a breakup and I was feeling these certain emotions for the first time in my life that had probably existed inside yeah. your subconscious yeah. for a long time. Yeah, and I didn't just didn't know. Like I had strategies because of 
shit that happened to me when I was younger where I would just block, you yeah. know, block, block, block. Um, and opening up and then going through this and I was, it was just a, for me, it felt like a catastrophe. I was just yeah. like, you know, I was treating patients and I was like talking to anyone I could about emotions and I was crying in front of my patients and then all this crazy stuff. But I learned, and I think that pain and that grief and that breakup has just taught me so much stuff um, that I would never have probably tapped into yeah. uh, unless I was going through that process, you know? So I've, if anyone's and, and working on site at some of these big steel mills, like relationship issues, I wish we get taught about it at school, you know, like Fuck, bro. how it's do you talk hard, to eh? your partner? You know, what yeah. sort of boundaries do you have with a partner? What are your needs as a human? What do you need from your partner? You know, um, and I wasn't communicating any of that, you know, during my relationship for six years. I just thought we were in love and that was enough, you know, like everything else will just happen, you know. Yeah. It doesn't work like that, you know. Dude, um, you're so right. Yeah, it's wild. And this uh, this new this new stuff and this course was, was fantastic. And I I just want to pass on that information. What as course much was as, it? Uh, it's just a uh, online course. Mark Groves is, is his name. Okay. Um, so he pretty much it starts off by saying, okay, well, by when you're zero to seven, you know, you get affected by your family and stuff that happens to you that you have no control over. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in a single parent household. I had my my mom and my nan and my sister, uh, and I felt like I was the uh, and that's probably similar to a lot of people. Um, like I was the protector of the you family. You have to provide and protect. Yeah. yeah. So I had no space for me to feel emotions or feel sad or feel anger because I was the rock. You know? yeah. So that was something that I had held and held on to and, and really didn't feel here. You know, I was more about into my head, right? What am I going to achieve now with my partner? What are we going to do together to, to do this or do yeah. X or Y rather than sitting back and feeling some emotion? Okay, well, actually I'm a little bit whatever and talk to my partner about that you know I wouldn't do that um, and then when you're from 7 to about 14 you know the relationships you get exposed to whether that's your mum and dad or your best friends family or uh, work relationship whatever it is you you pick up things in that space and that first week I, I asked my mum I was like who in my friendship group had a functioning relationship you know and I had no friends in my current and my family. There was no one where it was a mum and a dad that were a functioning unit. Yeah. You know? okay. So I never saw that. So in my relationship, I was like, "Where's my yardstick? Yeah. You know, where is this normal? Like, am I?" So I kept asking these questions and trying to solve this with my head um, because I had no evidence of what it was about. So since then. I've really tried to gravitate towards relationships that I do feel are um, someone that I look up to, you know, so just hanging out with them, you know, and seeing how they operate and seeing every relationship different. Every relationship deals with bullshit. Um, Every relationship has the amazing component which keeps them together, you know, and everything's different. So from talking and going through um, through that process, it has been really sort of eye opening to what I need as, as a, as a man and what do I need from my partner and what are my boundaries and where do I exist in that space? Um, and really defining that and, and saying to my future partner, whoever that is, that this is how I, this is who yeah. I am and this is what I expect from you. Um, and if you can't do that, then maybe we're not, we're not right for each other. You know, did your mistakes in the relationship become obvious? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, because I think that's like one of the things that, 
when you're going through any problem with your partner i i think like my personal feelings and like because i'm in a relationship and we've been yep. together nearly three years and it's just it's a fucking work in progress all the time yeah and as it should be it, and it, sh- it should be yeah. and i think you should have someone that challenges you as well i know i'm the kind of person that if you give me an inch i'll take a mile same i'll do it with everybody mm. and i think that there's parts of me that i have a very driven personality i've got for whatever reason i'm mm-hmm. constantly like just clawing mm-hmm. to fucking i don't know where i'm going mm. but i'm doing that yeah. thing and if i've got a person that will get up and make me breakfast every day and lunch and dinner mm-hmm. like i'm just gonna fucking expect that i'm mm-hmm. gonna take that and that's not great for that other person if you're you know, if you're not paying mind to that, they're doing that mm. for you, you know, like if you don't have perspective on, on that. But that's that person's boundaries. Right? Mm. So then if, if, if they want to do that, that's fantastic. But you, you're going to take advantage of that. And if that person has boundaries within your relationship to say, well, look, I'm going to do your breakfast, but you're not getting lunch. Yeah, you know, as an yeah, example, yeah, yeah. then they just need to communicate that to yeah. you. And I'm sure you're a good person that you would, oh, fine, you know, I don't expect yeah, lunch yeah, and yeah. dinner every day, but... Um, breakfast would be awesome, you know, if that's what they wanted to do, you know. And I think it's more of um, you need, or well, I need a person that will be, that won't just go with everything I say. Mm-hmm. That won't just buy all the, whatever way I spin, mm-hmm. what it, what needs whatever that, you, you know, want. what yeah. I want. And because I'm, you know, doing that fucking crawling forward yeah. kind of deal. Yeah. But um, I think that what people should focus on is like their, or like what I've tried to focus on is like, okay, how much of this is from my ego? Mm-hmm. Am I speaking from my ego? Am I acting from my ego? Because I think there's like a problem now. And I mean, maybe it's always been a problem. I don't know. But in the time, like if I look at myself and I look at people around me and I look at the way people speak to each other or mm-hmm. interact, then I think there's definitely like an ego component. And I know people that live entirely through their ego. Mm -hmm. And I know people that are super humble and that they don't speak through their ego. They don't um, exist within that that space. And Mm -hmm. I think that anytime you say like a bad thing to a person, like a spiteful comment or a little dig, that's literally your ego talking. Mm -hmm. Like you've chosen to speak through your ego because if you like even in traffic if you're like fuck off cunt yeah in traffic yeah that's your ego yeah like that's an e like you're doing that because that makes you feel better mm-hmm. and i think that when you know when especially what just every relationship you've got to be like am i speaking through my ego or am i just speaking with like the a more pure part that is like detached from what i'm getting out of this if that makes sense yeah, I think so. Like one of the big things that um, sort of came out from that process and the grief and then the course was gratitude for me. Like, yeah. you know, and just really, uh, you know, like the ego searching for more and like, is this enough or where's my million dollar house? You know, I'm 37 now and I'm like, I guess went through a midlife crisis as well, kind of. is like, all right, fuck, I'm here on the Gold Coast and I want to be living on the point on this million-dollar house and my sick car and my boat and all that, and I don't have that, you know? Yeah. And then, so, but really when you boil it down, like, you know, I had a fantastic group of friends and I had a partner and I had a, a place where I was living here in Burley and I live in the fantastic place of, in Australia, in the world, really, and having gratitude and having those reminders and I set it in my phone now, you know, just have to think where you're at right now, you know? Yeah. Um, and really it's 
that's one of the big components that came out of out of me is trying to get rid of that ego component you know yeah. and comparing yourself and it's so easy to do now with well, social it's media it's facilitated you know? mm, like right. there is this constant comparison mm, that yeah. is like it is literally facilitated like here you go here's mm. a thing that you can compare yourself to every mm. successful person on planet earth comparison is the thief of all thief, happiness yeah thief yeah. of joy yeah, yeah it's like so true mm. I've, man i come home from training last night and i put my phone in my gym bag and dude i'm the fucking worst man my mm. phone's on all the time mm. like it's it's fucked up and i had it um my nogi pants don't have pockets so yeah. i like i had some shit so yeah. i was like all right it goes in my bag and I got home and then I was like, I'm just going to leave it in my bag. Yeah. I didn't have to talk to it. Like mm-hmm. I knew you were coming on the show mm. the next day. We knew the time. Mm. Like I didn't really need to talk to anyone. No mm. one needed to get, I mean, maybe they did, mm. but fuck, yeah. they can call Ricky's phone. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like I just was, I just made a decision to just like leave it in the bag. Yeah. And then I was like, fuck, that's like, that was cool. Yeah. I, I should do that more. And then I ended up like charging it and then I like as I charged it I was lying in bed and I started looking at it yeah. and I was like fuck like why <laughs> did trapped. you do that yeah. yeah like I just uh, me and my friends would call it the scroll hole yeah right and it's like you just get caught in the scroll hole yeah so I was thinking last night and Ricky was on her phone as well we're mm. both in bed on our phones and I was mm-hmm. like fuck and mm. in the mornings I've been trying to get up and read mm-hmm. for 20 minutes before I um, before I look at my phone yeah but that's kind of gone out the window mm. because I've like I use it as an alarm clock and then the message is there and mm. like the guys in the US that I still talk to a lot, they're mm-hmm. awake and they've already texted, you know, mm-hmm. like guaranteed I've got 10 messages yeah. from that group of yeah. people. So I'm like, fuck, I need to, I need to get out of this. And last night I thought I'm like, I'm going to go buy an alarm clock yeah, and I'm going to set because my phone is by my fucking mm. bed because it's my alarm. Mm. Dude, and I don't like, you wonder whether that was like a thing that, you know i mean i guess phone all phones back in the day had alarm clocks but it's like now it's like that alarm clock right, is a yeah. way to yeah. lock you in mm. you are getting on that fucking device but even so as soon as you wake wi-fi up wi-fi signals and microwave radiation like right next to your bed that's probably a stronger component to getting rid of the phone really in, in, i reckon Fuck. like yeah i've never know, even looked into that you look shit. at smoking like 30 years ago you know not an issue you know people smoking doctors are smoking but then they got the research that came out yeah and then you talk to any neurosurgeon now in terms of temporal lobe um, tumors which is that lobe right next to the ear um some really good research around that as well so i would be more sketched out on that absolutely do you have your do you take your phone in your room to go to bed no No. so you leave it away yeah yeah well i leave it at the end of the room you know it's not near me yeah Um, right but I have, and that's a conscious decision, not because I'm on it, um, but because I don't want it near myself, you know. And, and my Wi-Fi router is in a different room, and like, yeah. you know, I, I'm just a bit. I'm not conspiracy theory, but I'm just aware well, that we, we, we just don't, don't know, know yet, you yeah. know. And it could easily be that next smoking thing, and you know how powerful those tech companies are, and yes. they can easily squash the research as the tobacco companies did throughout that yep. whole process. Yep. And surely there's something in there. Um, you know, the thing a. fucking catches on fire and blows up, you know, yeah. and we stick it next to our head, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I try to use earbuds whenever I can as well, rather than... I do that mm. a lot. Or speakerphone. I yeah. never put a phone in my ear. Yeah. And it's not even for... Like, I'm not doing it for, like, the, you know, radiation mm. or whatever, but, like, I just fucking don't like it. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm either on speakerphone or I'm on the earbuds. Yeah. Because I just can't do it. There's but, something there. Yeah. Well, I've been I've been thinking like, and especially last night when we were in bed, and then we both were on our phones. I was like, "Fuck, this has to stop." Mm. 
like I think I'm going to go and get an alarm clock and I'm going to put it next to my bed mm. and I'm going to set that cunt every mm. day. Yeah. And then the phone and even like I even want to get it to the point where like we cannot get on the phones mm. for an hour mm-hmm. before after we wake up. Mm. Cuz like I'm just fucking on the thing, man. And mm. like when we first moved to Burley we were getting up at six every day and going to the beach and mm-hmm. I was surfing and if it was small, Rick was surfing as mm-hmm. well. But um, that's just, we, it's just stopped. Like it stopped when I broke my rib because mm-hmm. I couldn't surf yeah. and then I couldn't really get off the couch for mm-hmm. like those, you know, that first six week. Weeks, yeah. yeah. So then I was like that whole thing with the rib and then it just, I didn't really get back into that routine. Yeah. And then I was, what I was doing when I hurt my rib was I was reading for 20 minutes mm-hmm. while I had my coffee mm-hmm. and then getting on my phone after that. But mm-hmm. now I'm just like, dude, I just got to, I got to piece out from this thing for like hours, you know, like then hour before bed mm-hmm. and then an hour after we wake up. Mm-hmm. Like that has to be time where mm-hmm. like, I can't get on that thing. I can't reach other, like I need to be a little bit more connected in my house. Mm-hmm like you know i'm in a live with my partner mm. and there's this disconnect of like i can sit on my phone she can sit on her phone she can be in in fucking makeup land watching mm. a chick in the uk and i can be in podcast land listening mm. to someone and it's like there's such a disconnect even yeah. though we're in the same room and that is almost what is more scary to me at the moment and in like a relationship standpoint is like I wonder what that distance is doing, even I, though you're in the same home, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak around that. I certainly see it and feel it as well. You know, when you are in a relationship or you're going to dinner with someone and you're doing this, you know, and even just having the phone on the table has an impact on the ability to connect with someone, you know. Yes. So if you are, you know, going to dinner with someone or going on a date or with a bunch of friends, like I would, I try not to put my phone on the table, you know, like because I'm conscious of the my attention getting drawn to it and then also my friend's attention getting to, drawn towards it, if it vibrates or whatever and it just takes away from those moments you know yeah. um but my my other specialty in in health world is sleep you know so i've done a lot of research and oh, a lot of um, reading on sleep and i've well i had a company that used to test people's sleep you know so people would come into me with sleep problems yeah um, and then I would d- just discuss what their sleep habits are and then we would send them away to do a sleep test um, at home and this is a PSG2 test which tests brainwaves, breathing, um, where they're lying, what time they go to bed, what time they wake up, what stage sleep they're in, all this sort of stuff and you'd be surprised on like the, that interaction with a phone or with a computer in those hours leading up to bed how much impact that has on staging of sleep, on sleep quality, on sleep health and for me, the foundation of health is sleep. Really? It, like I've never seen, um, like you see patients come in with obstructive sleep apnea. So that's a condition where they can't breathe that's when they're asleep. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like you, it's essentially snoring to the next level. Yeah. Right. So it's snoring and then you stop breathing. You're holding your breath. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can fix that the next day with a sleep, the CPAP. So that's in a, a device. The, that, yeah. yeah, that device that goes on. So it's a, it's, it's a condition which you can come in with and you might have had it for 10 years and then it's a condition you can fix the next day, okay? So you'd be surprised at the types of people that, used to, that I used to treat um, in the GP land where they're overweight usually and they've got pain and there's always something fucking wrong. There's, there's nothing yeah. right in their life. You know, they're fucking miserable. Their partner hates them. They're never engaging in conversation. 
they, they're not sleeping. They've got obstructive sleep apnea. So literally every 10 seconds, this person's stopping breathing, all right? And they're stopping breathing for 30 to 40 seconds and then they take a few breaths and, and this is happening. Yeah. yeah. And they can be asleep for 10 or 12 hours, you know, and they have literally haven't slept. So for yeah. 10 years, they haven't slept. And then no wonder they're fucking like, can't just lose weight. Yeah, yeah, miserable. They can't connect in conversation. And they're just cooked. Like they're not sleeping. You put them on CPAP, like the amount of partners that have come in to see me and go, oh my fucking God, I've got my <laughs> husband back, you yeah. know, the week, the next week, you know, it's tricky to get on a CPAP. There's some issues with getting there, but it, it's the transformation is a phenomenal pain levels, reducing people losing weight for doing from sleeping, you know, getting new light. Like it's incredible. So I really strongly believe, and I test a lot of athletes um, sleep as well, because you just don't know you where don't pathology know, yeah. lies. Um, I sleep. All right. Well, how do you know you're asleep? You know, let's test it and let's have a look at that function and can we improve it? Can we make it better? You know, yeah. Because um, you're not, you don't really do too much. You know, you're sleeping. Ready when you are, mate. Got it. Righto, Fletch. We got you back, mate. <laughs> we um, we got derailed. We we get. I wouldn't have, say derailed. It was like a really good derail, but then when we left the conversation, I was like, man, there was so much more breathing stuff that like we both knew we wanted to get to, and then three hours just went like that, which was it's a good thing. Uh, but then we're like, all right, let's get you back. And what we're going to do, we haven't done this before, but we're going to split the podcast up into uh, James Fletcher 1.1 and then a 1.2. So we're going to kind of like try to get back on topic with the meditation uh, breathing stuff. Um, and then we're going to post the uh, James Fletcher 1.2, which is where we just kind of went off on a tangent, started talking about um, a bunch of a bunch of stuff. Uh, which I really enjoyed, um, but we thought while uh, Fletch is off work and on holidays, he's got a bit of time. We um, we'll just get him back and re uh, not redo, but kind of like get back on track, back into uh, the breathing space. Yeah, so yeah, which because uh, there's a, there's still some uh, stuff that we we didn't cover that uh, I would was definitely interested to learn. Yeah. Um, so thanks for making some time. Mate, not a problem. It's, um, you know, it, it was interesting where we did get derailed around that meditation space, you know. Um, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, our heart beats autonomically. We don't have any control over it, but the breath, we do have control over it. And it also happens automatically as well. And that's our sort of angle into the headspace or into our um, nervous system control is using some body hacks um, to get stuck into the, uh, using the breath to get stuck into the, um, you know, calmness, reducing anxiety or improving our mood. I think we sort of did touch a little bit on that last time. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a really fantastic tool that we can use and, you know, of course, popularized by the Wim Hof stuff. And maybe it's a good place to start is about just delving into a little bit of science about unpacking mm. the Wim Hof method, which is uh, I find very interesting, you know. So essentially we are, with, when we're doing Wim Hof, if anyone's done it before, we're hyperventilating, right? Um, now there's a lot of carbon dioxide that's running through our body. Um, our cells metabolize and then they produce carbon dioxide as a byproduct. When we hyperventilate, so overbreathe, which is the Wim Hof method, we're reducing the level of carbon dioxide level in our body. Right? Now that has uh, a really short term effect by increasing the pH of our bloodstream. Okay? So by reducing the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood, we increase the pH of our blood, which makes it more alkaline. And that's where a lot of his method um, sort of grounds itself is by making um, increasing wellness, 
Um, I think I did briefly touch on it last time um, when I use it. You know, I use it if I'm waking up in the morning sometimes. Um, I use it when I'm teaching my students to wake them up, all right? But I'd never really prescribe the Wim Hof method for performance stuff. You know, it's uh, for me, I'm not sure where it uh, exists in performance-based athletic performance, you know, uh, for a number of different reasons. So, so Wim- what? So, firstly, though, why would you use it to wake yourself up? What's the effect of that? Because um, I actually am a notorious, like, slow waker. Me too. So, do you think that the Wim Hof method does that do something to wake you up? And like, what's the thinking behind that, or yeah. the science behind it? Yeah, um, I, I don't really understand the science behind the wake up component, but I'll tell you what happens to the body, and then I guess the listeners can uh, make their Try own mind it, up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you haven't done it, I'm sure you can find the method online and test it out. And what you will feel is tingling and, and numbness and lightheaded. And, um, and it gives you a focus for the morning, all right? Um, but what actually happens, like I said, is your, your partial pressure of carbon dioxide reduces. So what the Wim Hof method does is part of it is breath hold. So you'll really notice that you can hold your breath for longer periods of time Okay, when you do the Wim Hof method. That's because you don't have your most potent stimulator to take a breath it's reduced your carbon dioxide mm. levels that's the biggest stimulator to take a breath so it's dangerous if you're doing it and breath holding in water um, but he doesn't recommend that and no no one in their right mind would do um, but what happens in, in the short term to physiologically is like I said the blood pH increases and we get a reduction of blood supply to the brain so this is a common technique used in um, in the ER if you're in hospital and you can't be delivered a high pain dosage because you might be sick, you might have a heart condition. They actually turn the respirator up a little bit, over-breathe you so that your brain goes a little crazy. All right. Mm. Um, so this is what the Wim Hof method does. It reduces blood supply. Because you do get a little bit high when you like take on heaps of oxygen, right? Well, like, high is like probably the wrong word, but like you definitely feel no. like kind of weird, eh? Yeah, well, that, he's, that's his thing. Get high off your own supply. Yeah. Um, but you're not actually increasing the level of oxygen availability. That That's not what's happening. You're just, just be- decreasing the carbon dioxide. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's sold down this pathway about increasing. And that's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear. It's digestible. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you reduce the blood supply to your brain. But more importantly, from an athletic point of view is... We have this thing called the oxygen hemoglobin disassociation curve. So it sounds crazy, but all it is is the ability for oxygen to be offloaded at the tissues. All right. So we carry oxygen. When it gets down to the level of the muscles, how easy is it for oxygen to be released to those muscles which need it? Mm. By increasing the pH of your bloodstream, you shift the curve to the left and make it harder for you to offload oxygen at the level of the tissues. Okay. So it, it physiologically and athletically, I don't see how the Wim Hof method fits yeah, in okay. to that space because it's going to make you a little bit loopy. So you, know, you probably make the wrong decisions or if you're a darts player or whatever, you've got to make decisions in a, in a pretty tense environment. I wouldn't be doing the Wim Hof if I'm running or using my muscles uh, and that need energy supply, then why would I do it when it makes it harder for me to offload oxygen at the level of the tissues? Mm. However, if I'm waking up from my morning snooze or if i'm getting prepared to listen to a lecture um that might have its nice little application in that space and and he has popularized it and it and people are taking on more of this because it's easy and and you do feel that effect of it straight away because the the changes in the brain and the reduced blood supply tingling craziness numbness you feel euphoric you know all these sorts of things you know i went to one of his 
his conferences and there was maybe like 350 people in the room doing the Wim Hof stuff and like screaming and carrying on and in when he leads it you kind of get excited about it as well yeah it's and like a bit of a tony robbins effect yeah, yeah yeah and and the, the physiological effects again are more pronounced when he's running it because you're doing it stronger and harder so you get muscle contraction so all my face started contracting and my buccal muscles like everything was going Whoa, like this really yeah i was just like well this is a bit this is a bit wild but there's a 300 other people doing doing it. the same yeah. thing is there an element of um you know you get like that mob mentality where you can get like a group of people that'll just lose their fucking mind and they'll like loot in the streets and it's like a mob takes on its own thing that's what it felt like do you think like yeah there's like an element of that where it's like there's so much energy in the room and there's so many people vibing on the same frequency in a way that it's like just like takes over everybody well absolutely and and the energy that he gives off is is incredible as well you just watch him um online or wherever and he's just a character right and He's tapped into his breathing techniques, which is fantastic. But I think beyond that, he's just a fantastic meditator. Mm. You know, he's a fantastic... Uh, he uses his method to use, control his mind because some of the stuff that he does is crazy. You know, like that's not take away from that, you know. Yeah. Controlling his body he's temperature. He's an extreme person. Yeah, controlling his body, climbing, you know, mountains in, the, in his underwear and swimming under ice. And, um, you know, the, I think they injected him with some... Um, you know some sort of yeah, bacteria, like bacteria and, and then, yeah yeah he was able to control yeah. his thing so like that's not the breathing method that's doing that you know that's his ability to get into his mind and, and control like you know the monk sort of situation yeah. where they do spend a lot of time meditating and again that's the power of meditation i guess is, is it does allow you to get into that mindset and, and breathing is a tool to get into that space so you know his method is has been popularized and like i saw people from all walks of life at that conference you know there was me interested in the science-based component as a physio and an exercise physiologist then there was some people some cancer sufferers that i talked to and then there was these army guys there and then there was big wave surfer dudes there and like it was just like mm, a eclectic mix it was wild you know yeah. it was like this is fantastic this is where the breath's going and He's managed to get it, you know, you grab a hold of it and find that that popular method, which is fantastic. Well, know? that's what I was sort of, <clears throat> I remember saying last time was the fact that it, at least whether his methods or, you know, it's not like exactly performance based, but it, at least what he's doing is getting people thinking about the breath as a powerful tool mm-hmm. and almost as like this body hack. And it's like, sure, it's not the only method and it's not the right method for this and it's it's got its application, but it seems like before Wim Hof breathing wasn't this like big thing that a lot of people thought about you know Mm, absolutely you've been researching this for Mm. 10 years so Mm. it's like you would have seen this shift as well big time yeah I mean I thank him you know I've met him and and it's a it's a fantastic thing that he's done not just popularizing the breath but popularizing we talked about this as well which kind of got us off track is that spiritual shift you know thinking going inwards and thinking about yourself and looking after yourself and um you know he he puts in exercise there as well and that's started my journey with the patients with pathology is using using the breath to improve their whole body exercise which is Mm. as important as doing your breathing techniques you know if you're just doing excuse me wim hof you're gonna get a feeling but you're not going to change yourself physiologically because you need to burn energy to lose weight so he throws in his push-ups and his sit-ups and all these sorts of things in his wim hof method yeah which again is, is beautiful you know more people doing push-ups are better yeah and if they're using the breath to get there who cares um with the wim hof stuff how do you explain the cold water stuff so like i've got a friend 
um, Taylor and he run like a bit of a clinic uh, a couple of weeks back with like ice bars and they were using like the Wim Hof method. And I mean, I've definitely done uh, my fair share of ice bars and I've never really found anything breathing mm-hmm. or not that yeah. makes those feel better. But like, it's like, I'm like, what am I missing here? Is there something physiologically that's going on that lets the cold water go uh or like easier to handle or am i doing something wrong you know no they always still feel cold yeah no it's exactly right the wim hof like we said reduces blood supply to the brain right and now they use that in the r setting so they reduce the amount of painkillers they have to give someone because the mind's in a different state Mm. because of its reduced blood supply so i think the answer lies somewhere around there because we're doing the wim hof we're reducing blood supply to the brain there is a change in the pain response um, or the cold response, the cold receptive response, so that you can able to deal with it for longer periods of time. I think yeah. that's where the answer lies, but I don't think it's been, you know, fully researched. Have you done any experimentation with like ice bars and breathing and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we kind of touched on this last time as well. Is just the ability for us to, um, you know, step outside of our normal comfort zones. You know, whether that's exercise-wise or whether it's cold exposure or you know uh, us as a society have reduced our tolerance to adversity you know and the cold bath is just a good example of that i talked about um the breath hold as a good example of dealing with situations where it's you need to remain calm and you need to remain cool or have techniques when you're underwater and you've done some exercise so the breath is really wanting you really want to take a breath and you've got to go within and reduce that sort of feeling you know so i think it's a similar situation with the ice baths there's a a response and that you're put into a situation which is challenging and you've got to get through it using the breath or using your mind or using some other techniques you know i think again physiologically as well there's, there's a lot of um you know vasoconstriction of the peripheral blood supply which maybe squeezes a lot of things out of the toxins out of the the, the body and create some sort of uh, rehabilitation there as well um, i'm not an expert in cold baths i'm probably the same as you like they really hurt me yeah um, i've done a couple of them before but i would like to get into a bit more of a practice but practically it's a challenge to have ice bars yeah on tap, you have know? you been to p3 yeah. yeah yeah that's where i've done them the most yeah but like i mean yeah it's i think the ice bath thing is something that it really is more of a mental thing than anything because i mean i know when i was surfing a lot in california i'd go dead winter mm. like five thirty dawn patrol it's two degrees outside and i just got into a mindset of like it was okay mm-hmm. i wasn't like my head was around it if that makes sense yeah, yeah and i feel like the ice bath thing is the same because when i whenever i go to p3 you see the regulars and they're just chilling mm-hmm. and i'm in there like oh like trying to breathe and but there is something with the ice bath thing to where um if you can actually like it's it's actually a classic example of what you were saying the other day and i've been thinking about this a lot since um the last time we spoke is that the way that like you kind of build that stress up in your shoulders so like my first response when i get into an ice bath is to go like that mm-hmm. and then it's like it's actually a physical challenge to then relax your shoulders and then start breathing normally because when you're in there and it's that ice you're like (laughs) like you're not actually breathing properly and i think that when you um the times that where i have done the four minutes on four minutes off four minutes on a p3 and i've done that loop for 40 minutes by the time that you're done you actually i feel like i have more control over the breathing and then there's something that happens when you do control your breathing that 
it's sort of like maybe it just takes so much focus that it sort of does take away a bit of the the um the sting out of the bath because you're so focused on the the breathing itself yeah there's an interesting experiment where um they use physios actually and and because of our exposure to using ice to rehabilitate injuries you know acute injuries um we know um the lack of danger around ice right so we know that we're never going to get frostbite if we stick our hand in a in a glass full of ice with water in it because it can't go past zero degrees mm. uh, and then just the average punter and they did these experiments where you know physios put their hands in the ice and then normal punters did and the normal punters are like pulling their hands out because they think they're going to get frostbite and that was mm. there but because we had the understanding that that wasn't going to happen for us and that's the mindset right we knew mm. we weren't going to get da- in danger from doing this we were able to put our hands in the ice bath for longer periods of time and I'm sure like the regulars, they know, you know, they just know that how it's going to feel and they've been exposed to that before, yeah. which goes back to that that sort of um, foundation discussion around exposure to challenging environments. Yeah. yeah. And we probably don't get exposed to enough of that uh, in today's life because we've got washing machines and we've got 100%. all of that sort of stuff that takes care of us, our air conditioner when it gets hot, um, yeah. that maybe the body just becomes a bit soft. Maybe. I would I would agree with that. Something like that. Yeah. Well, I even think that like with jiu-jitsu, like I used to get, when I first started, I'd get like nervous and I'd have butterflies walking into the gym because I knew that I was about to feel extremely uncomfortable with like basic helplessness of not being able to, you know, if someone gets me on the ground, I'm, I can't get up now. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a six minute round, then you've got six minutes of being uncomfortable and then you might get choked and then get a chance to reset and then 20 seconds later you're right back in that position yeah. but soon like it's just the constant exposure like you said to where it's like it's not a big deal mm-hmm. just after a certain period of time your mind does acclimatize to it so i guess it it definitely makes sense the that theory of just exposing yourself to discomfort is enough for your like the brain's a powerful tool it will find a way around something mm-hmm. that it has to do if yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah exactly and um you know i mean on that topic steering it back towards breathing like i've worked with um the canadian biathlon team and um you know talking about jujitsu and the different holds and, and chokes and everything that you guys get exposed to i've thought about how to bring in breathing techniques for you guys apart from the the shift in whole body effort and reductions in shortness of breath that we normally get with research um my work with the biathlon team um was i'm not sure if your listeners are familiar but they essentially run a marathon on skis right it's like up hills and mm. you know and then they they've got about 15 to 20 seconds where they glide down a little um like a little ramp and then they've got to shoot targets right so they're carrying oh a, yeah, yeah carrying yeah, a gun yeah. on their back you that know that's crazy and there's two positions that they're in one they're in lying on their tummy it's called a prone shot um, and it's the most stable version so then they have to shoot five targets but they're lying on their tummy so they cannot so use they their tummy to, to control to breathe. their breathing yeah can't use their tummy so they've got a breath hold but after they run a marathon so it's a challenge but they can't use their tummy to breathe because every time they're you know, yeah uh, and then they run an arm marathon and then they come back and then they stand all right and then if they're using their chest to breathe then then they've got to just use their tummy so it was isolating different breathing patterns to use for different situations for their race. And I'm like, well, this makes sense for jiu-jitsu or for MMA or for fighters where yeah. you might be in a certain hold and you can't take a breath in your tummy because someone's yeah, got their arms are wrapped in like them. That, yeah. uh, or you're pinned down and you can't breathe properly. And then, 
you know, anxiety is starts building because you can't get that breath in and then you start running out of breath and then you start making stupid decisions. So again, shifting that, that attention towards the breath and having techniques to calm the nervous system um, or putting yourself in positions like we do in the pool where you are out of breath and you've got to yeah. do that breath hold situation, then the mind's just able to operate in a better space. So you might be able to make a smarter decision to get out of a hole or to counter or whatever it is, you know? So do you think that, so when you're say, um, yeah, so there's definitely times where you're pretty much like smothered, your mouth is almost covered and you, there's so much pressure that you're not really able to take in breath. That panic response, is that more of like a behind the scenes nervous system thing, do you think, where your body just starts firing off these responses of panic as much as it is a conscious panic because it's like you could stay calm Mm -hmm. in your own mind but then your body does start to give you certain responses is that the same sort of thing as what i'd experience in the pool when you're denying yourself breath and then you start to get the contract like the uh, convulsions if that makes sense yeah um the breath's really interesting like what the body thinks about um what the brain thinks about when we are breathing is it, it requires certain things from the body so if you breathe all your air out, okay, you're going to want to take a breath earlier than if you've got a full breath of air in. Okay? Mm. Um, the reason behind that is twofold. One is because when you have a full breath of air in, the receptors in your lungs and in your chest wall cavity are sending information to the brain saying, bro, you've got lots of air in. Don't worry about it. You know, um, And that signal is really important. And there's research out there where you take a big breath in and you hold your breath for as long as possible. And you don't do anything, but at the end, when you need to take a breath, you put your phone and it's vibrating on, on the ribcage muscles and you can extend your breath hold for longer because the muscles think they're contracting. And the brain goes, all right, well, we're getting more air in you know, really? when you're not doing anything. All right. Another one where you're at the end of your breath hold and they get the patient to breathe in helium. So it's not changing any blood gases. Ah. And that's sad just by passing air over the upper airways the body's like, all right, well, you can hold your breath for longer periods of time, all right? And the other one is carbon dioxide level. So as you're exercising at a high intensity, the carbon dioxide levels are starting to build up and that's your biggest trigger, all right? Those other two triggers are important, but your carbon dioxide levels are really important. Uh, as they start to build up because your lack of breathing, then the body just starts wanting to take that breath, mm. you know? And, you know, CO2 exposure. And, and I was talking to Kyle Lenny and he, a lot of the stuff that um, when we had him in the clinic, a lot of his training is centered around CO2 tolerance training, which is essentially exposing your body, again, like the ice stuff, exposing your body to repeated bouts of high levels of CO2 by, uh, I think his program is a three-minute breath hold and then a two-minute rest and then a three-minute breath hold and a minute and a half rest. And then you just re- keep reducing the rest times as you know you can hit three minutes because you've just done it and then mm. you're just reducing your rest. So you've got this target and then that tightness starts coming the in, the burn and the, the contractions start convulsing. And over a period of time, your body gets used to that level of carbon dioxide. So if you're in that hold and you've done your training and you've got a full breath of air in and your CO2 levels are... Uh, you've done your co2 tolerance training then you don't you won't get that stress response you know you know okay well i'm cool my body doesn't need to take that breath i can think about it or i can get my breath in through my lower back or i can get my breath in through my shoulder muscles or wherever you can that's what we teach in the clinic um 
where we can sort of get different avenues of, of um, satisfying that need to take a breath, you know. I've been, uh, like, <coughs> obviously, I think, were you on Friday? Was that the day? Yeah. yeah. So from Friday to now, I've been really thinking about just the um, that what you said about, like, the shoulder breathing and, like, I've really been concentrating on breathing it through, you know, like, with my diaphragm. Mm-hmm. And it's been a really, like, interesting few days of even, like, in bed. It's, like, now that I'm just consciously thinking of it, like how much you do chest breathe mm. and it's like you have to have this awareness awareness mm. of it and i'd be really interesting for listeners to like start to just do that and just to concentrate on like what you said like breathe in and then fill up the you know tummy. almost yeah. like your, yeah, your, your guts your, yeah your tummy with air yep. instead of like sort of breathing through your chest but mm. it was interesting the effects like instantly you feel calmer mm-hmm. like instantly mm-hmm. no matter you know what um, you know what situation you're in even if you're just on the couch or whatever like you actually do feel like you are calmer by breathing in that like correct way which mm. is crazy well you, what you're doing straight away is you're reducing the work of breathing you know um, like you like any listeners going to the gym as soon as you get given the proper technique and how to do something it just becomes mm. easier you know um, and I think what we've, what I see in the clinic a lot um, is just chronic overbreathing, so really small, shallow breaths, just upper respiratory patterns. We get, you know, with them sitting down and working and, and in office environments, we get super stressed and tight in our shoulders. And I mentioned last week, that's me. Like, that, mm. I really know that if I push my shoulders down, that that's a trigger for me to relax. You know, I've done my meditation, I've got another trigger for me to relax, and I've got my breathing, which is another trigger for me to relax. So I've got an arsenal there of stuff to go, all right, well, I'm in a shit situation here these are the things that I can do to help me make a better decision to get out of it, you know? And belly breathing is one of those, you know? It's like, all right, calm down, push my shoulders down, put my hands on my tummy and just... And I, I, make, an, I make a noise. So I go... Yeah. And that is an, another trigger for the body. If you can... This is an interesting one. So <clears throat> when you go for a run, you might have a two, two or three K run around Burley Hill here, for example. Do it day one without headphones and then do it day three with headphones and tell me which one's easier you know usually it's with the headphones usually when you're running with headphones it's much easier yeah, because okay. <laughs> if you hear oh, that you sound more puffed. yeah you sound puffed and the body's going shit bro slow down you yeah, know like right. you know, so that shortness of breath measure is a signal for the body to say dude you're at your limit you know take mm. it easy put your headphones in and that breathing that, that voice of breathing gets removed and then you can push harder because you don't have really? a, you don't have a yardstick for how hard you're going you know um, that makes a lot of sense but mm. I would have never thought of that on my yeah. own but it's just the power of the breath which is again why I tell all my clients when, when I ask them to take a big breath in or when I get them to do certain techniques I either want a um, like a, a touch feedback so I really want them to put their hands in their belly so they can feel that happening yeah and I try and get an audio stim, audio stimulus as well and even breathing out when a lot of people say I, th- I think it's called the um, the throat breathing like all that sort of stuff is really tapping into those receptors in the brain about yeah. the breath you know if you can hear a big long slow inhalation and use that it's sort of make ex- you feel that's right yeah you're yeah. like tricking your own brain that's right it's like a hack again so with the performance side of stuff so training athletes for performance through the breath mm-hmm. what's like the where do you sort of start with that what kind of results are you seeing what kind of sports 
benefit? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing every sport benefits, but you know, like what kind of stuff have you seen and what sort of stuff are you doing? Yeah. Um, every sport's different and every athlete's different, you know, so that's the way I approach it. So, which is a challenge for me as a practitioner to be able to say, here's my method, go and do it because every person is completely different. Um, the basis of what we're doing and what the research showed. So there's a really interesting article by Illy in 2012 that looks at inspiratory muscle training. So I-double-L-I, if your listeners want to check it out, you should be able to find it. Inspiratory muscle training, Illy 2012. So that lays the foundation for us in terms of performance improvements with just simple breathing techniques. So rowing time trial performance up by 1.9%. Cycling time trial performance up by 4.6%. Running 2.1%. Swimming 15 Faster recovery during repeated sprints by 7%. Um, endurance increased in repeated sprints by six, 16%. So the, the research is there in showing you what we can do if we just do the pure research-based intervention. Now, I feel like that's just bullshit. Like It's just like reading a script and going A plus B equals C, and we can deliver those mm. improvements to our uh, to athletes. Um, in answer to your question about what factors change, so we see a reduction in breathing effort. So the shortness of breath levels start to reduce so that, you know, when I'm running and I'm (laughs) hearing, then that starts to reduce so that you can improve your performance. Mm -hmm. Um, We see whole body effort increasing as well. What happens there is if our breathing muscles are less fatigable, okay, so they don't require as much blood supply, then that blood supply is redirected to the exercising limbs. So we see an improvement in whole body effort. Okay, so which is where a lot of our um, shifts in performance come from. If we can deliver more blood to the exercising muscles and not the breathing muscles, because we've strength trained and made the breathing more efficient, then we're going to see improvements. Yeah, um, we see less inspiratory muscle fatigue. So our listeners, so might- is that what you feel when you feel like your lungs are burning? Is that just muscle fatigue of those breathing muscles? Uh, that's pretty subjective experience like when you feel your lungs burning like you know sometimes if you haven't uh let's say done repeated hill sprints in a sand hills you know that 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 amount of air you're bringing in that kind of hurts me a little bit i'm like shit i haven't done something that hard for a while you know is that the lungs burning Mm. diaphragm and and, and inspiratory muscle soreness you probably wouldn't have felt that unless you've done a breath training program that has inspiratory muscle training Mm. yeah um, and I'm not sure about the, the types of holds and things that you do in jiu-jitsu. Maybe that forces you to strength train your breathing muscles. I mentioned last time that the strongest people I train that I or see in the gym, lifters. power lifters, yeah. you know, because of that intra-abdominal stability they need to create. Um, so we see a reduction in inspiratory muscle fatigue. So our breathing muscles do fatigue. Now, the research around that, there's an article by Hamnegaard in 96 that got people to breathe hard for two minutes and they saw a 30% reduction in the inspiratory muscle capacity after two minutes of heavy breathing. So that, for me, I was like, okay, well, do the breathing muscles actually fucking fatigue? You know, is this an actual issue? Then that was an interesting article. Then I started digging deeper, and if we pre-fatigue someone's diaphragm, so we do that test, we get them to breathe hard for two minutes, then send them out there to do some exercise, we see that their exercise performance reduces if we pre-fatigue the breathing muscles. Mm. I was like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense, you know. Um, and then they did these phrenic nerve stimulation studies, which I was mentioning before, where um, in order to get an accurate representation of muscle fatigue or muscle contraction, um, the amount of muscle contraction we can get, 
we need to take volitional control out of it. So if I say to you, squeeze your bicep as hard as you can, you can mm. squeeze it as hard as you can or you can squeeze it at 90%. If I'm here yelling at you like, fucking Jace, hit it, hit it, hit it, and I've got a marker on that you need to get it, you're going to try your hardest. But with the diaphragm, it's pretty challenging to do that. So they access that muscle through the phrenic nerve, which they can um, do through the neck, and they use a... Um, a magnet, a transcutaneous magnet to stimulate that nerve so that we can get a full contraction full of contraction. the diaphragm. Yeah. So taking away volitional exhaustion and everything, we see reductions in diaphragm contractibility when it's fatigued. So it's going to require more blood supply. Hence why we try and strength train it or we try and improve your breathing uh, technique so that it doesn't get fatigued as much. So that's what we see in the research. And that's how we start to see a transition towards... Um, you know, improved performance or reductions yeah. in shortness of breath. We see thick. We see the diaphragm increasing in its thickness. You know, after strength training, like yeah, any muscle. All right. All right? Um, we see um, fiber type changes as well. So a, a transition towards a, a less fatigable diaphragm. So there's fiber type two, two fiber types, fiber type one and fiber type two. In general, there's a couple more different than that. Um, and we see a transition towards a more endurance based. Um, diaphragm so we can deal with the load that yeah. athletes are putting through it or even just normal population pay people you know Damn, um, that's so crazy like you just don't think about it at all no you? and and i don't you think, think about it as an organ like your lungs is just an organ but it's like everything that's running those organs is muscles mm. yeah. and all muscles can be trained that's right? right that's that's the basis of it it's uh and and you know that's kind of what blew my mind away which is why i got stuck into it pretty heavily i was like it was, no one's doing it like mm. and it's really easy like it's less than eight minutes of training a day you know and, and the type of uh, improvements we'll see by people is uh you know increased breath hold you know so working with ryan hipwood and, and kyle lenny like these guys want that you know so if we can improve the strength of their diaphragm and working with a guy from griffith uni troy cross he's now in the mayo clinic in the states so he did an interesting article where, I mean, you've, you've had Ryan on the podcast. So when mm. he was at the, at the Ryan and he got um, smoked and um, he had to put his hand over his mouth to stop the, the water coming, the water in, coming yeah. in. So up to 15 times in, increase in pressure changes. So the, that's what the, the muscle's working 15 times harder to try and get air in during those conditions because he hasn't got any air in. So this, the muscles are stimulating. He's a carbon dioxide levels are through the roof. And at that point in time, he's starting to freak out because he yeah. knew where he could get to. You know, I think it's his second lot, lots of contractions and he knew after that he'd never been into that environment before. So he was starting to freak out as well. As soon as you start freaking out, the body starts requiring more oxygen yeah. supply. So that even so on top of that as well. exponential curve of fucked. Yeah. And um, with our strength training program for the breathing muscles, um, we're increasing the strength of that, that capacity for those muscles to generate a pressure differential. Or... Uh, requiring less blood supply to do the same amount of job. You know? Yeah. So if we've, if they're requiring less blood supply, then there's more blood circulating around for for trying to get him to the top or use his legs or kick up or whatever he's trying to do in that situation. You know. Um, with the stimulating the muscle manually, aren't they doing that in like powerlifting and stuff now, where they're like got these like um, they're like electronically stimulating the muscles to do like full contractions. Um, and that a lot of these like powerlifters and stuff are actually like using that as training because they are getting like that 100% contraction, like you said. Yeah, and that that's the the I guess the next goal in 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 um, 
you know, exercise physiology is how do we efficiently stimulate muscles and get a change in them. Mm. And I think that's been pretty well researched that space in terms of strength gains. But again, everyone's different. And, you know, I might be a, a slack trainer, you know, and I need a kick in the ass when I'm training. So if I can stick some TENS machines on my muscles during, um, you know, during a, a lift and to get more out of them or to stimulate the body more, uh, essentially what you're trying to do is create a bigger stimulus for the muscle to mm. make its change you know we can't put steroids in there and do a smaller oh, amount of change can. we can yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but that's what i was talking about last time as well that katsu training you know sticking some yeah, um, yeah. you know so how what's the stimulus that we need to deliver to the body to get the biggest change and i think i mentioned this last time as well is this the body's smart you know so it'll you'll do something a certain way and then after about 10 weeks or something it'll be like fuck I'm, I'm done I'm not gonna that's silly I need another stimulus you know mm. um, which is the foundation of the breast stuff that we do is we, and, and should be for all strength programs is do an intervention test it before and test it after and see what's changed you know if nothing's changed then that's the wrong stimulus for that person mm. you know um, and that stimulus might last 10 weeks 8, 12, whatever it might be the thing that solves that person's issue you know but continually checking back and having some objective measures is what we need to do if we're bringing a science-based approach to breath, which is what I'm trying to do. You know? um, so, yeah, I mean, across the board, we see with different athletes as well. So, you know, I mentioned I worked in the circus as well, and my exposure to that was trying to help um, these high-wire athletes and wheel-of-death athletes deal with anxiety and shortness of breath when they're Mm. on the high wire or they're about to grab the wheel of death you know so how do we reduce that anxiety and we brought in some techniques to help them Um, so what does that look like like that is pretty interesting to me like especially with the competition stuff is because even for like the weeks before or even sometimes just thinking about competing like it's such a stressful environment that um yeah like i am interested to sort of know what some of those obviously like it is different for everybody but it's like mm. what does that look like to you know pre-competition um that performance anxiety kind of feelings like what are some types of things that people can do to deal with that yeah i think we um the first thing was the negative holds remember how we sort of had that count so breathe and yeah. listeners can do it now is you breathe all your air out um and then just count in your head just one two three and then with a bit of training you'll be able to tell the first symptoms for you to need to take a breath some people it's in their throat their throat starts to get a little tight other people it's in their um, belly for me it's in my shoulders you know i know that's the first signal that my body says dude take a breath you know Mm. and that count um after about two or three weeks of doing it every day in different situations you'll have your sweet spot you know um and if you're uh, warming up for the circus and you're in japan and then you have a a, uh, an aftershock and you're about to walk out on stage and you do that before you're about to walk out on stage you might be shooting your pants Mm -hmm. so then we'd have two techniques one of them is to wind the person down and the other is to wind the person up again you know i've used with elise burnett she needs to pump herself up so she has a technique that she does to pump herself up and with the guys walking out on stage then they need to calm themselves down they have a calm themselves down breathing routine you know so they can be bowing and saluting and taking off their robes and going through all their artistic component on stage which they do you know thousands of times a Mm. year and they could be doing a breath training program in front of four thousand people Mm. elise does hers when she gets in a boat and she paddles from the docks into her um you know, there's a little thing that they stick the nose of their kayak in to start racing, you know. Mm. Um, 
So just again, going inwards and, and, and finding what your number is and get trying to quickly get to that number as quickly as possible because you know that's your optimum performance level or arousal level. They call so it. you're like in a non-stressed environment, you're going to go and like, I think you said yours was 11, right? Yeah. So you go and then you're like, all right, well, so then you do it one time when you're stressed out and you're like, you get to four. Yeah. You're like, all right, fuck. So basically are you just trying to breathe and hold your breath until you get to 11 and just you actively trying to get to that number is enough to calm you down because you're focusing on the breathing as opposed to like everything else is that sort of the theory or yeah simply it's um long exhalations you know so you know if your listeners are wanting to practice it um and they're in a stressful situation um find out what number you're at you know and then i do five breaths with really long exhalations making that noise you know so and then pushing me for me it's my shoulders pushing my shoulders down closing my eyes really long super long exhalations and i do five of them and then i'll hold at the end of my last exhalation and check my number Uh, okay and then if i'm at six and i need to get to 11 then i'm like all right i gotta do that again yeah yeah and you'll quite quickly see and we do this in the clinic with pulse oximeters on and you watch your heart rate as soon as just go dum 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 and then you just do the five breaths again then it'll come up but it won't come up to where it used to be and then it'll go dum, okay. dum, 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 dum. yeah um and really so effective tool what's physiologic physiologically happening with the long exhalations um I, I don't really know is it is it more like that mental meditation because like i guess it's like we said the, the breathing is like the only kind of crossover between the autonomous and you know mm. so, like sort of yeah it's it's the tap into it's like the only one that's in like that gray area Mm -hmm. where we can control it but at the same time we can't control it's voluntary and involuntary at the same time yeah so i I think it's got this direct link into that um into that autonomic the brainstem right so which controls all our regulatory functions um that technique of that long exhalations um sometimes for some people we do the holds on each breath at the end of your exhalation um, that's really effective as well, but it, it is dependent on the person. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, we put a few things on and we measure heart rate variability and we measure pulse um, as well. And some people can't deal with no air in their lungs and they're, they're really anxious and they're like, no, I can't, I can't. And that's pointless doing it because it's mm. really setting them down that sympathetic nervous system pathway, fight yeah, or flight sort of response. Yeah, making it worse. Yeah. yeah. Whereas we, what we really want to do in that situation is bring more parasympathetic tone into the body. Um, by tapping into this thing and i don't really understand the negative component as well like when we use it with people in the pool um you know we I try different shit out all the time so normally um, when we're working with ryan as well we do these negative stuffs and, and for some reason it just taxes the body heavily mm. right and i experimented a few weeks ago where i was like all right well normally we do this warm down component using the negative holds as well to bring us out of the state that we were in but today i'm not going to do that i'm just going to send you guys home and again kind of tapping into this stimulus situation if we if we fuck the body and we recover really quickly are we doing the body a service by removing what we've done too quickly mm. should shouldn't we keep a stimulus it in yeah shouldn't we keep it in stimulus for a longer period of time so that we can get more benefit from it yeah all right and that was my just thought process around it so, all right, let's fuck them and see what happens. And then let's not do the recovery component and send them home. So the next week when everyone comes to training, they're like, dude, I had the worst night's sleep of my life. You know, really? I couldn't get to sleep. And that was everyone. You know, and I was like, okay, I don't know why. 
but um, we can use that, you know, like, okay, we can use that in the morning and then hopefully you recover by, and is that stimulus changing the body? Is it improving your outcome, your performance? I, I only work with a small sample size, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just experimenting with stuff. But that allows me to go down certain pathways and actually hooking up with um, Griffith Uni again. So I lecture there um, every year and there's a, a lady that does a lot of interesting research with intermittent hypoxic training in, in animals. So then we can try some different funky shit out there and probably push it past ethics boards a little bit more than we can yeah, yeah. <laughs> with elite athletes, you know. But again, just trialing some of the stuff that's coming out of out of that research and going, okay, well, can we, how do we stimulate the body uh, with least less effort? You know, like you know, streamlining tapering. You know, you're coming into a jujitsu competition, you want to regain some of your energy levels and you want to be super sharp and super focused but you don't want to lose too much fitness so is there ways yeah. that we can bring breath training in your normal regime so that you can achieve that better i don't know you know which is the, the interesting component and why i'm in breath because it does it's very science-based but that's not heavily brought into the practice there's a lot of that esoterical application of it you know like the wim hof stuff mm. and there's even the psychedelic component of it which i love as well is like you know dmt you know utilizing releasing it from the lungs using certain breathing techniques and people tripping out and all this sort of stuff yeah well you hear about that a lot in kundalini right yeah yeah and are they what are the what is kundalini breathing like do you know the technique behind it are they just essentially doing the same thing like just hyperventilating the body until they get that that crazy response because you do hear about that a lot of like people that do yeah they do kundalini and they have those like dmt style experiences Mm. yeah that's it's just hyperventilation you know but i've seen the opposite work in that type of environment as well so breath hold i mean like michael hutchins for example you know like you breath hold during sexual experiences and it heightens the oh i never understood that yeah well it's like choking you know yeah so that's a place where it exists as well because of the physiological changes that we see when we breath hold. Um, it doesn't seem worth it, eh? <laughs> Probably not for Dude, you. I had, um, I had uh, my uncle was a coroner mm. in Cairns. And uh, yeah, there was like one day where he had to go and there was a dude that fucking hung himself while he was jacking off. Oh. And like it just pushed the limit a little bit too far. But you could do it that. doesn't seem worth you it. You could do it without doing like without the choking. Without the choking. Yeah, thing, like just, just do a breath hold. Breath. Yeah. Um, yeah okay i wonder if there's like a component of actually constricting your um like the blood supply to your brain though well that's what well. breath hold is, or is like, it the same thing? yeah same thing so, so instead of doing it twice as much because mm, so that's why you go out in jiu-jitsu chokes it's not because of breath, breathing yeah it's just all yeah carotid just, arteries just get boom. clipped mm. and it's only like you've only got a few seconds i that's fucking right. almost went out on friday afternoon <laughs> it was not it was one of the it's actually one of the closest i've been to going fully out just yeah, happened right. so fucking quick yeah room was spinning and then i was like i literally had to sit down for a second i was like fuck dude you, you recover pretty quickly though, yeah it recovered yeah. like really quick but yeah. it was just it, it literally the room just went zoom and yeah. i was like fuck fuck yeah. let me out let me out mm. and no like, amount of breathing will change that you know that's like you said it's yeah, carotid artery a, yeah. yeah boom um but i didn't know that before mm. i started i thought it was like they choked the breath out of you but yeah right. it's not not yeah. how it works uh you probably got like you well you would have a that would happen if you didn't constrict someone's uh, arteries enough to put them out. That way, they would eventually go out with breathing. Yeah. But so the technique in that scenario is not 
crush the front it's the sides isn't it yes. so your carotid arteries are through yep. the sides here so you yep. position your elbow right in the middle of the yep. is that right yep. yeah okay. and then like when you do like a triangle choke which is the one with the leg you basically like one leg goes against the neck and then you squeeze their shoulder into their um like that yeah so oh, they're wow. like you shot all the like so much of the chokes and stuff is you're essentially like using a part of their body to yep to stop their arteries like yeah, it's, right. yeah it's pretty crazy there's so much like feel to it as well yeah right. like there's some dudes that will have like a just a one technique they just do like where they it's, can dial it they've in they've just there's so much feel yeah is like required and it's actually it's pretty crazy but the the nasty ones are the ones with the gi yeah, right. So like when you're wearing oh, the, using wearing the, the jacket, okay. that's what put almost put okay. me out. So like, just grab one side and then grabbed it. I think he did like a baseball bat choke. But anyway, so yeah, he's basically just like got one side and squeezed it to the other side, and it just like there's all leverage and it just cuts it off and you're fucking out. It's interesting actually from maybe a point of looking at the stimulus to breathe. Like that's a really interesting component to the breath. Um, you know, as me and you are sitting here, there's really no stimulus for us to breathe and we're doing it, you know, and that's an interesting component. And we don't really understand that, why the body continues to breathe. You know, like I think there's a, like in the heart, there's called the SA node, which sends out uh, a beat, 60 beats per minute. So every second the heart's essentially taking a beat. That's an automatic function. They think there's something like that in the brainstem, which continues for us to breathe. But then me and you might go for a walk um, and then our breathing rate will increase. So we don't really have a great understanding of why our breathing rate increases when we just go for a walk. Mm. You know, we know that it's required because more muscles are, are working, but the stimulus to do that, we don't really know. We think it might be some feedback from the muscles. So because our muscles are working, it's sending information to the brain saying, hey, we're going to need more blood, so let's go. But we, we can't find out what's going on. Mm. What we do know, though, is when we start exercising above anaerobic threshold where carbon dioxide levels start to build up, that's the biggest stimulator to breathe, you know. So as soon as we start exercising and our carbon dioxide yeah. levels start building up, ventilation rates match perfectly the increase in carbon dioxide levels. Oh, okay? okay. So that stimulus to breathe, again, is carbon dioxide is the biggest stimulator to take a breath. But then all the other things that we've talked about as well, environment, stressful situations, when we've got a full breath in, receptors from the lungs, receptors from the muscles as well. It's a, it's a really interesting mix of um, you know, why shortness of breath or why you would feel like you need to take a breath, whether you're in a chokehold or whether you're exercising or whether you're underwater getting smoked. It's, um, yeah. The science behind that is really interesting as well. So what then gets rid of the carbon dioxide? Is it just the fact that you're taking in oxygen does that neutralize the carbon dioxide or breathing is it out. when you breathe out gets so we're just straight breathing out carbon dioxide yeah does any of that like transfer into like your blood supply or anything like that so the the co2 is coming from the blood to the lungs to the lungs to get out yeah, yeah. and oxygen is coming from the air to the lungs to get in um and there's a number of different factors which affect that ratio which i said you know the wim hof hyperventilating you know that shifts that curve so then we change so there's so much more oxygen than carbon no no nah, so there's less carbon dioxide available at the tissues right yeah okay um and temperatures one as well so as we heat up that shifts the curve as well there's a few different factors in there which change that um, ability to on, un, unload oxygen at the level of tissues and pick it up at the level of the lungs as well yeah you know? um and that's yeah it, it's it gets a little bit crazy but you just definitely need to understand it and 
you know, again, the things that I look for is, all right, well, what are you doing? What do you need to do? Where, you, where can we see some improvements in performance? Um, and you know, like I said, with the Wim Hof stuff, it, I find it challenging to prescribe it to patients the in an athletic performance point of view, you know, but um, I could be wrong. You know, I could be wrong. Do you think that there's going to be some kind of drug that will come out that can get um, the carbon dioxide out of your system without breathing? Because that would be like a crazy performance enhancer, right? Like if if that took away, like if the reason you need to breathe out hard and breathe in and breathe out so much is Mm -hmm. to like constantly expel the carbon dioxide that is coming from your blood. Like if there was something that you could put into your blood that would just neutralize that carbon dioxide, that would be like a... Could that be like a crazy performance enhancer? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, my... That's some Wizard of Oz shit, but just... No, well, it's it kind of... You can draw parallels to um, let look at cycling. So Because like EPO just allows right. more oxygen in the, each blood cell, right? So the way we're limited is by our delivery of oxygen to the tissues. Yeah. Right? So that's what limits our performance. So if we can deliver more oxygen to the tissues, then we'll increase our performance, which is what EPO does. Yeah. EPO allows you to have more oxygen available to the muscles. So yeah. then that increases performance. Um, I don't, unless you are not breathing, then I can't see a use of increasing the removal of CO2. Mm. Yeah. Maybe... But if you want to talk about efficiency, mm. say you only had to breathe, say like reverse epo mm-hmm. essentially that's what it would be right mm-hmm. but like say say if it's like this reverse epo gets rid of half the carbon dioxide and then you've only got to get rid of half through breathing like then you still got to breathe in oxygen yeah but then wouldn't that so you just help breathe efficiency? in and not breathe out well you could breathe out but it'd be less work yeah. or i don't know well breathing out is, is it's not a lot of work because most of the elastic recoil of the lungs. Yeah, so um, it's a bit, yeah, okay. Yeah, I see. So what, I think I see you. what you're saying, but I'm probably not smart enough physiologically and performance based to really take that question but it to just, where it needs to go. Because I guess you've got EPO on one side is like yeah. helping the oxygen delivery. So, so like, no, it's allowing more oxygen to yeah, be carried. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's like if there was like just thinking if there was like a reverse EPO where so it's like does what EPO does but OPE on the, and what it did yeah, was carry more carbon dioxide out of the tissues yeah yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's what limits performance unless we were operating above anaerobic threshold which is the build up of lactic acid and the, mm. the metabolites which would limit performance um, maybe it would operate in that sort of level there um, does breathing have any effect on lactic acid or removal is, yeah 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 so um you know the the removal of metabolites is is what co2 is you know we're moving co2 from the bloodstream um and that co2 there's an equation called the henderson hasselbach equation which shows you how lactic acid or hydrogen ions get transformed to carbon dioxide to get rid of really breath out yeah that's super interesting that's how that happens in the body you know so we transfer that metabolite accumulation or the hydrogen ions to carbon dioxide through this equation and then we breathe out that metabolite so how fast is that process happening uh don't know very fast i would say yeah Um, that's crazy yeah it's um yeah it's i mean the the lactic acid production that would only be in in sports where we're operating i mean you'd probably see it in jiu-jitsu in certain holds um you know classically we're looking at races you know around that minute mark plus minute to three minutes well that's where like with motocross man like the moto dudes a 30 minute 
motos mm-hmm. and they're at a, you know like the average dude's like 186 bpm for 30 yeah. minutes yeah it's just like through the roof mm-hmm. and the the lactic acid buildup that you experience in like your forearms and shoulders and chest and mm-hmm. back like it's it's fucking gnarly mm. like way way gnarly than anything else i've ever done in terms of just a general um or like an extreme fatigue that can set on and set on so quickly mm-hmm. and that's yeah if breathing and the exhalation of carbon dioxide is something that helps f- remove carbon dioxide mm. from uh sorry lactic acid mm. from your muscles and that seems there's like a lot it, more to that like in terms of lactic removal and you would have seen it as well like purely by doing motocross you know and riding a lot then you get better at it yeah, tolerating the threshold it you know? builds up so that's a, a way that a lot of coaches and, and people do it is training at your lactic threshold to improve the body's clearance of it through its normal processes you know um, so it improves enzymatic control and get rid of, get rid of that stuff out of the tissues but yeah breathing definitely has a place um, in helping all that um, happen efficiently as well and it'd be interesting if we did get to do some work with some motocross guys looking at what sort of lactate levels were they experiencing and then yeah. let's do a breathing training intervention achieve certain targets and you know i want to see in my clinic at least an improvement of 20 to 30 percent of their inspiratory muscle strength so i want to see strength changes i want to see an improvement in the ability to generate flow so fast breaths yeah you know? Um, and volumes. I want to see an improvement in volume. So if I can deliver those interventions and then we do another lactic test after a 30-minute motocross, is there a difference? You know, that, mm. that would be something that would be, you know, uh, an interesting study. Um, but I, along that journey, I'll be asking for shortness of breath measures. So, you know, each lap, just give me a number, you know, out of 10 and whole body fatigue. What are your arms and shoulders feeling like? You know, that's more yeah. important, you know. And... Uh, usually in with my first introduction when I first trained with someone that first six to eight weeks you know I make them feel like Superman at the eight week mark yeah and then the challenge for me and what I'm working with now is now working with athletes like Cam McAvoy and James Roberts now for like three three and a half years we do that initial intervention they feel like Superman they smash it and then when they come back to me how do I get them to that Superman level again you know because they've already got and a lot of it's mental yeah And I'm just starting to head down that pathway of um, how the breath um, can be used, you know, in terms of that mental headspace, which probably separates, you know, I had this conversation yesterday, it was like, look at the Tiger Woods situation, you yeah. know, like the guys has had injuries and things, but clearly it's like a mental space, you know, that has yeah. been affecting him for so long. And it'll be interesting now to watch him, now that he's got that win under his belt, what happens from now on, you know? Yeah. Um, so using the breath and, and talking more about, you know, preparation and arousal levels and headspace and focus. Um, yeah, I, I'm still learning in that space. You know, I've been stuck in science land and measuring stuff for so long uh, and that has its place. But, um, you know, getting back to our conversation last week as well, is that going in inside, you know, that internal spiritual motion you yeah. know, space that uh, the breath can definitely open up as well. You know? Well, it's, it's super interesting to me with motocross because when you see the mechanics that hold out the pit boards like one of the most common things that you'll see on a pit board where they give them the sign is breathe yeah right and it just seems so um obvious but you know there were so many times when i was racing where you just don't fucking breathe Mm. like you could go i'm sure i would have gone entire laps without properly breathing Mm. and it's like to be pushing that hard and to be um 
you know, doing that much work and the risk that's involved and the speed that you're going and all the different mm. factors that you've got going on and you're forgetting to breathe. It's, it's definitely, I, just, I think that if, if a lot of riders really want to improve their performance, like that seems to me like such an obvious first place to start. Because, Easy. And, and the thing that I think is that breathing properly isn't like, uh, a second nature thing it almost seems like it's the first thing to go out the window when you get into like that real stressful situation mm-hmm. and for me it's like I'm, and I know like I even just sitting on the couch I'm having to tell myself to like okay breathe through your tummy now and take in these proper breaths don't breathe with your shoulders sort of thing mm-hmm. um, how much training do you think you need to do or how focused do you need to be until that correct breathing style becomes second nature to where you are doing it in a 30 minute motocross race or it it does become autonomous it like, depends is on that where you really start. what you're aiming for in a way yeah that's right it depends on where you start from always but um you know i've worked with patients um you know like the classic sort of middle-aged woman with anxiety who's just carries stress with her everywhere she goes you know and i've worked with people like that for months you know to try and correct that type of technique change and, and whenever someone's stress and like you're on a motorcycle and and boom like you said you know you just do this and then what you do is you shorten all these muscles so then their action becomes easy and then you do that upper chest breathing pattern which is really inefficient then you do lots of small breaths you know and then they build on top of each other and like and particularly for those those ladies is um it's, it's like a classic downward spiral yeah so some trigger whatever that is creates this all right then they do these small little shallow breaths and then because they're not clearing their system they become shorter breath and then they take faster breaths, but that's not satisfying their needs. So then they have a panic attack. You know, mm. That's that's a, dr- a breathing-driven panic attack. You know, um, same applies in the motocross. If you're doing that, then you will be inefficient with your breath. You'll be starting to utilize these small muscles. You, you know, I've worked with um, kikers where that is an, another space, and you, that's a terrible technique. You know, imagine yeah. trying to hold on to the motorbike like that. Yeah shoulders low you know engage your lower traps have a nice posture so that you can start utilizing your balance more um and and that's i see that all the time as soon as you change someone's breathing technique um they just become much more relaxed and much more uh things become easier you know um usually with athletes because they're really dialed into their body you know you ask an athlete to flex their bicep with their eyes closed they'll go doom they'll nail it you know so they usually have good body awareness so the changes Mm. happen quite quickly um, but if, you know, let's say they're returning to racing after a huge crash, then their trigger could be just racing. Mm. So we might need to work with that athlete a little bit longer, have some video analysis, have some things um, that we use to, to test them um, around the track so that when they flick into that type of breathing pattern, we know, okay, all right, well, dude, you know, you're not ready to race again yet. You're still struggling getting back on the track because of the big accident you've had you know let's work on your breath stuff here let's work on the gym stuff here and let's expose you to the the pool stuff works really well for that Mm. environment you know it's like i'll give someone a 20 kilogram weight and they stress them out a little bit and they've got to walk along the bottom of the pool and the only way that they can get their breath is by breathing all of the air out at the bottom of the pool then jumping up and then taking a breath and then sinking to the bottom again all right so this forces them to think about when they need to take a breath. Because if you just jump up, you won't be able to have time to breathe out, breathe in again and go back down. You know, So you force, okay, I've got to think about my breath now. 
breathe all the air out, focus, jump, get my breath, come back down, you know, stress, 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 breathe all the air out, you know, so you're putting them in these challenging environments where they have to think about their breath. Mm. So that's a good analogy to that sort of scenario of, of, you know, racing motocross and, you know, freezing essentially or generating that self anxiety attack, um, which affects your performance, you know. Um, so the pool pool's a good scenario for that stuff as well. And yeah. how long does it, would you need or does the people that you've trained sort of have to spend training their breathing until it just does become uh, their primary way of breathing? Like I, I work on four to five sessions, you know, like that's all I really need. Um, you know, I did one session with Kai while he was here for the, um, the Quickie Pro. Uh, now he just sends me footage of him doing his breath training at home and he says, this is how I'm feeling, this is what we're doing. Um, and I can modify his program just online and just mm. through Instagram, really. Like he shows me some footage and I go, dude, that's really good. You need to focus on this, this, this. And how's your breath hole going under certain situations? And like that's an interesting component as well. Like statically, he has a fantastic breath hold, you know, five minutes. But dynamically, he's had got a lot of work to do, you know. So dynamically, breath hold is stress someone out and then let them hold their breath. The triggers and the stimulus are much higher. You know, the CO2 levels are much higher. So if you're used to this slow creep on of CO2 building slowly, then, oh, I feel it, I feel it. Ooh, contraction, relax. Yeah, you know? okay. Rather than this thing coming like a fucking freight train and hitting you like, boom, I need to take a breath. All right, shit, I shit my pants. And then, you know, so that's something that we're working on with him, you know. Um, and you wouldn't think that that's the, something that he works on, but um, yeah, he 100% has to, you know working on the strength working on his volumes and um now working on a bit more of a dynamic program to add into what he does now you know if anyone needs it that dude needs it yeah yeah is that the we sort of talked about a little bit before but do you think that this new focus for big wave surfers on breathing is actually one of the reasons that we're seeing such a crazy surge in this new paddle big wave kind of world because it just seems like the ceiling's been lifted on what's possible because the higher you go up in wave size means the longer you're held down on the opposite end it's it's a very direct relationship and do you think that all of this breath training that guys like Kyleni guys like um like Mark Healy is like a gnarly mm. free dive kind of you know crazy breath hold dude mm-hmm. obviously you've got Hippo that does all of his work do you think that this breathing stuff is actually what is allowing these guys to push so much harder? Um, I think the clear, like, and I'm not a big wave guru dude, but I think the clear like indication of pushing the sport um, is the vests. You know, mm. I think that that has made a dramatic change, and Hippo would probably agree. But um, you know, that enables them to be safe. But Ryan, working with Ryan for a couple of years now, he just tells me you have to train for the worst case scenario so all right you've your first case is your vest all right that that gets you out of trouble as much as possible but you still get smoked by the waves mm. um so that you still might have hold downs or you still might be in white water for x, x amount of time so then as a backup you've got your breath stuff you know and with the recent increase in breath awareness you know i think that it is becoming uh 
it's just allowing that bar to be lifted even further you know and then like most of these dudes are all competitive you know like what's your fucking breath hold blah 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 what's your who are you training with what's this what's this you mm-hmm. know and then there's a lot of programs out there like ocean warrior and, and, and nam does some cool stuff here on the gold coast and, and the stuff that i do as well like i think people have a lot of access to it as well so there's probably a bunch of factors that are driving performance and exposure to what's the what what is the limit you know and i think you know working with kai recently um he's definitely pushed that bar in the last three four months i think talking to him he goes that's the big, best big wave season i've had you know yeah okay like air dropping on a 40 foot wave you yeah, know it's pretty impressive you know um and just having the ability to not even just the ability to do it but okay if shit went wrong you know like that's pretty gnarly well know? that's the thing is like yeah the vests are there but i don't think that you're uh going to be pushing at the level that these guys are if there wasn't some kind of confidence behind that because mm. you're not just solely they subconsciously there's no way you're going to put your life in the hands of three little canisters mm-hmm. and just fucking hope for the best you know like i think so <laughs> i think that's exactly what they do i just can't i just but i think that the fact that these guys have this crazy training now and so much oh, more for sure. awareness like it has to help because we've seen those things mm. fail well look at look at the the physical nature of the, what these guys look at look at the work that hippo does outside of breath you know like these guys are training for that you know they're, they're strong they're confident they've got a bunch of breath stuff behind them they're fucking amazing surfers you know they've got great ocean awareness they're they've got jet skis there they've got their buddies that are on the jet skis who know the positions they're going to be in and like you know i think that that whole picture is just has radically transformed um and i might be wrong in terms of the introduction of the vests but um no it has to mm, it for mm. sure but the breast work is definitely there as well you know and you know there's a couple of really great breath guys that are big wave surfers that, that have changed the game in that space as well you know it's um but well, you know what I do, I, it's different. What I try and do is just measure stuff, you know, measure and put an intervention in place and then measure at the end of it, you know, and what is making a change. And I really steer away from that. Here's, here's what you should do mm. you know, because it was interesting with Kai. I, I, I thought he had, because of his, I didn't even measure his static breath hold because he said it's at five minutes, you know, four minutes, 50 or something. It's like, well, there's no point us doing any static breath hold to try and increase that yeah yeah. unless you are um going to be free diving or um you know spear fishing then there's no point in changing that that's yeah fantastic um anyone else that i've worked with doesn't have a static breath hold longer than that but let's test you dynamically and see what happens you know and taking pulse rates and watching your response heart rate variability and breath hold ability is like okay well there's not a weakness there but there's a, that's where we can improve a yeah. lot and your diaphragm strength we can improve that a lot because no one does that sort of work yeah and we know the direct what the research shows if we improve the strength of your diaphragm your breath hold ability will increase you know let alone get bigger amounts of air in let alone get air in faster you know we talked about this last week is if you're on a big wave you're pumped up you know you've just paddled yeah. in or you've been towed in so your heart rate's high and then you get smoked and you have a microsecond to take a breath in. You know, I work with Ken McAvoy and the swimmers. They've got 0.1 of a second to get a breath in. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really short. Yeah. And you, that better be the best goddamn breath you've taken if you're going to get held down for three-wave set. 
Yeah. You know? Otherwise, if you don't have all that air in, that stimulus that we talked about from the, the lungs and the stretch receptors are going to be firing off like no no chance. You know, If we don't have a lot of air in the, the thoracic cavity or in the lungs, then the CO2 is going to come in and it doesn't have a lot, a lot of place to diffuse. So the CO2 concentration is going to be huge. Another big stimulus for us to take a breath. Mm-hmm. So when we do that sort of training, we do negative stuff. We do um, high intensity stuff. We do um, you know, full, full breath in stuff. We do really calm stuff. And um, I, I think you just need to expose yourself to a bunch of different factors just purely around breath hold to improve it rather than just have on oh, my CO2 table. This, is, mm. this gets me where I need to do and I'm, I'm happy with my five minutes static breath hold. You know? um, so, yeah, for me, the, the breath's so interesting and, and I, I try to bring in each athlete and ask what they need and what they want and what their sport is and that's the fun component for me. And, you know, talking to you about jiu-jitsu, that's fantastic. I see great applications of it there, mm. you know, five-minute rounds, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, at that perfect level where it can be anaerobically sometimes and it is aerobically sometimes, you have opportunities to rest, you'll have opportunities to gather your thoughts and gather some breath training techniques that can all be happening while you're in the ring yeah quite dynamically working with the Maloney brothers who um Andrew just he's got a shot at a world title um coming up and his brother Jason it was interesting for those guys they're going over to Chile for a fight so they wanted to sleeping uh wanted to some sleep breathing stuff um working with Jason he wanted to improve his ability to recover during the rounds in between rounds yeah so we did a lot of stuff there um what's the go-to like because I think about that a lot like when we're in the gym so we'll do five minute rounds one minute 30 off Mm -hmm. so I mean I think the other day I did eight five minute rounds yeah so I was obviously like tired in between and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like how should I sit how mm. should I breathe? Like mm. what, if you only have like a minute 30 to recover, like what are some techniques? Cause even like, I was just fucking slouched over on the mat. I'm like, surely this isn't even mm. the right way to sit mm. to actually get the right amount of oxygen in. Yeah. Uh, and it, for me, without testing people, it would go back towards that um, belly breathing, big, long, slow inhalations and exhalations, just trying to clear as much as possible. You mm. know? So you don't want to, you don't want to fatigue the system by breathing too heavily. Right? Yeah. So you don't, like that's Wim Hof stuff. That'll set you down that pathway of the change in, in things that we don't want to change during the performance. But you want to be working at a level where you are clearing that CO2 from the system. You know? mm. So I'd be using the biggest muscle, which is the diaphragm. So I'd be focused on belly breathing. I'd be focused on big inhalations, but not stressing the system. You know, So we would measure that. Um, with our stuff that we do and we say well this is your number three this is how it feels like close your eyes see how that feels and we really dial it in you mm. know so there's some so it's like you've got some real data to lean against yeah so i say to my patient after at the fourth or fifth session close your eyes give me this at that level and they'll mm. go and then boom you know if they've done their homework they'll be dialing that straight in that's your recovery breath that's how i want you to do mm. it really slow exhalations you know um well, not really slow, but slowing that exhalation yeah. phase controlled. down. Yeah, to try and get that exactly controlled. What we do see a lot is people like puffing, like <sighs> getting that air out. And what ends up happening there um, is you close down the small airways or the, the small alveoli sacs in the lungs and you actually trap gas in there. So then that shit that's, that should be getting out is just stuck in the bottom of your lungs. Mm. So a really inefficient way to breathe. It's called dynamic hyperinflation. Um, happens a lot with pathology or happens a lot with... Um, people exerting themselves like marathon runners you know if they don't have an efficient breath um then they can just trap 
the um, air down in the lower parts of their lungs and it just becomes inefficient and a, a terrible way to breathe and it, it'll you end up stacking yourself so you're <laughs> yeah and, you, and then worker breathing at this larger lung volume costs more energy so inefficient you don't get rid of the metabolites and things um and again why which is why i really try and dial stuff in for people you know because mm. it's, there's subtle nuances there that that do make a big difference depending on your sport or the type of breathing that you do you know um so yeah yeah that that definitely is um that that was a day i really thought about that and does your posture affect it uh is there a way you should be sitting or is there like a a better way to sit or i I train everyone standing up um but then i'll put them in the positions of their sport you know so a kayaker with their knees up a swimmer i'll get them to lay on their tummy on a swiss ball you know to, to, to simulate or mimic the environment of a hydrostatic yeah, force you yeah. know compressing their breath um but in terms of the resting situation like working with the maloney guys so they're sitting down they're right? on stool yeah. yeah so i just try to get them to again relax their shoulders you know so don't drive with this because that might send you in that sympathetic pathway i want you to belly breathe in just have one hand on your tummy and i got one of the guys to pull their um their shorts out a little bit because they have that oh, the, yeah, the tight the belt, tight yeah. belts and all that sort of stuff in them as well and i, I get one of the guys to hold that away while they're in that recovery position and what kind of benefits in recovery did you see like how much more oxygen were they able to take on board in between rounds don't measure that so that's something that is you could measure it um but for me a lot of it is subjective experience how does it feel you know um and i was working with these guys eight weeks out of their fight six to eight weeks out of their fight that's the best that's the best time to work you know if you if i've got eight weeks before a competition and it's your first time, you know, like Andrew knocked the guy out in the 12th round. Yeah. You know, okay. Probably nothing to do with my breathing, but I'm going to take some of it. But to knock someone out in the 12th round in a boxing match He's is... got to be is still fan- quite efficient. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's fantastic, you yeah. know. So he was behind, I think, on points or it was quite close. And Andrew was fighting in Chile in this guy's home environment. So he Altitude had... and everything. Yeah, he had to like... He had to dominate him to get the win, essentially, yeah. you know. And to knock him out in the last round, like I watched it and it was... It was the guy's a legend and did so much hard work and um to see that result in the end of it and his elation when when he knocked him out uh he knocked him down and then he he's like pumped and then jumping around he goes oh shit that's right i gotta get in my corner watching him watching him and then he he stood up his contender stood up and uh and then just wasn't he was in disneyland and then the rest called it and then andrew won and it was that's the 12th round like what a fantastic result you know that's like fairy tale shit yeah yeah and um it was beautiful, you know, and, and again, having that, if some of my interventions um, changed the way he was thinking about it, if some of the interventions, you know, what the research shows us is you reduce your whole body effort. So you've got more energy for longer periods of time. Yeah. You, know, you reduce shortness of breath. So if you're not <laughs> puffing and panning in the 12th round, you can believe that you can knock him out if that's how you're feeling, you know. So, yeah, there's that physiological change in the stuff that we measure, but more and more I see headspace you know is, mm. is getting that person in the headspace to achieve and having that control a 12th round knockout you yeah. know that's fantastic well did we cover everything I think we did man I think we're good yeah we did it I'm glad we did the little second bit um, because yeah there was obviously for people that are listening there's an extra hour and 20 minutes worth of uh, the breathing stuff breath shit yeah before yeah. we uh, we go rogue <laughs> <laughs> which uh, there was some interesting stuff it actually made me research that uh, yeah the, you got me the article there yeah so I was like yeah but I, I mean 
again, it, it's like that. That is a theory. I guess mm. people don't know what we're talking about right mm. now if they've just listened to this first one. But we were talking about um, like a hundred or you know two hundred years down the road, will there be any particular color um, of person? And we ended up finding out that everyone's going to look Brazilian yeah, in about a yeah. hundred years. Yeah, I'm cool so, with that. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not bad at it. Um, so, where can people, uh, if they want to book into the clinic or do some work with you, uh, what's the best way to get in touch? Um, so just by the website, it's easiest. There's a contact form there. My email's on there as well. You know, so FletcherTechniques.com? Yep, FletcherTechniques.com. Um, Instagram, like Fletcher Techniques, is, is popular as well. Um, and just reach out. Like I'm on the Gold Coast in Sydney. That's my two areas of How clinics that I work from. Uh, once a month. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I'll be down there a little bit uh, more in coming times, like working for 2020 Tokyo. There's a couple of athletes I want to get on board. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, that, that's what I'm going to essentially do heading into 2020 is is um, just have a stable of athletes and working with some interesting guys who are interested in the breath yeah. in, in interesting sports, you know. Um, so if anyone has any particular issues or pathology as well, like asthma or COPD and stuff that – the, the research is really clear about the improvements that you can make um, using the breath. Uh, I love talking about it, you know, as we've sort of heard. Um, and I continue to try and um, push the envelope of, of how it can be applied in, in performance or in pathology, uh, in sleep. You know, we didn't even really touch on sleep stuff, which is really important. Um, and, yeah, it, it's all... I'll, I'll continue to do that, you know, for my career and, and hopefully come out with some cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, yeah, like I said, I'd love to get you on again at some point. Um, I'd love to maybe, uh, yeah, I got some friends that I'd like to get on the breathing stuff, like for the motocross side of things. Yeah, I'd love it. Uh, so maybe when they're back down for the Supercross series, um, mm-hmm. be really cool. Maybe we could like document some of that. Yeah, Because um, I just, yeah, I think motocross is that I don't know of anybody in motocross that does specific breath performance training in the Mm -hmm. way that you do it Uh, and i think it could be massive um and yeah this conversation has changed the way that i've looked at breathing and even since friday like the different you know different ways that i've tried tried to breathe Mm -hmm. um just in a normal everyday situation i think it's definitely helped a lot beautiful um thanks for having us on no i really appreciate it and i hope everyone um has taken something out of this and uh, I'm sure that you're not uh, worried if people send you a message on Instagram if they've got any questions of their own easy alright mate thanks thanks very much we did it cheers brother legend awesome bro thanks very much